It's the weekly variety hour, ish, with your host, McLateral. Man, this text on my head is really stupid. Oh, we're live. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is I, your host, McLateral, aka Mickey L. We're go- we're gonna work on that. We'll circle back around. We'll we'll see. Um. Anyway, we're back. We had a little hiatus. We did some planning. We are now back up the show on the road. We actually have some great guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. Drop a little bit about that at the end of the show. So you got to stick around, find out. It's the only way you're going to know. Um, but if you're only going to be here for the beginning, you'll get to hear my takes on James Connor for whatever those are worth. Um, they're about or as worth, they're worth about as much as his contract is, which is to say, not much for those of you who think James Connor is like somehow going to be the bell cow, which luckily seems to be none of you. I've been really impressed with fancy Twitter on that one. Um, though chase Edmonds RB one guys, like maybe simmer down, simmer down. Um, yeah, I, I think James Connor is going to be 2021 Jordan Howard from last year. I'm like calling it right now. It's like, it's not going to take, he'll get injured. Something will happen. I don't know if he survives the entire season on the roster. Um, Especially if they draft someone like, which I think there's a chance they will in the later rounds. Um, You know, I don't think it'll be an Etienne necessarily. It could be a Gainwell, but um, I, I don't, I don't see it working out. I don't, which again, if you have Chase Edmonds, like it'll pay off at least a little for you. So that's always good news. Um, In other good news, it seems that the 49ers might take Justin Fields. Uh, At least Vegas would have you believe that that's going to be the case. Uh, Justin Fields is now the odds on favorite to be the 49ers draft pick, not the quarterback, but the draft pick. As you know, I'm a firm believer that Jimmy Garoppolo will actually start out the season as the Niners quarterback. I believe he will actually finish the season as the Niners quarterback as well. I do not think he will start 2022 as the Niners quarterback. I think that's what will happen. Um, Though Bill Belichick's always, you know, the wrinkle in that that we haven't quite figured out. What else? What else? Huh? Boy, you know, I'm kind of kind of drawing a blank. Maybe there's someone who could come in, help, give me some stuff to talk about. Maybe our first guest. Hey, oh, it's Daryl. Well, what's up? How's hey, it going? Man, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Hey, I got to make a comment on the James Conner comparison to Jordan Howard. Let's get spicy. Yikes. That's a big yikes comparison. I also don't really like James Conner very much. I don't know if he'll be as bad as, you know, Jordan Howard. I mean, Come on, man. He's uh Jordan Howard was running like one yard a carry and had a, like a few touchdowns. It was one carry for one yard and one touchdown for like three weeks in a row. That's it's a very Put good some point. respect on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know that he has the health to do it. That's like my biggest sure, area of concern. Yeah. And I don't. I especially if they draft someone, I think they will find him to be very replaceable. I think that's the other thing, sure. especially because I think that they believe 
anyone can do it in that system. Or at least Cliff Kingsbury believes that anyone can do it in that right. system. And largely, he's been kind of proven right. Like, the running game isn't why that team can't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. From a fantasy perspective, like, Chase Edmonds was almost an RB2 this past year. I think he finished RB25 in PPR. Kenyon Drake was an RB2 this year. Mm-hmm. He performed like an RB1, RB2 for the eight games he had the year before. Like, Chase Edmonds looked good the one game he was healthy the year before. Like, Kingsbury has produced running backs fairly well. I feel um, like Cliff King- Kingsbury kind of believes in that the whole uh, running backs don't matter uh, category, possibly. Because, I mean, he said that Chase Edmonds is someone that could be... a lot be... of things don't matter, but that's yeah, a that's... whole separate issue. I, this is <laughs> not a pro-Kingsbury pod yeah. show, host, whatever you want to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree, man. Ah. Uh. Well, um, so Sam, you're here. You're our first awesome guest of the evening. You are the co-host of another awesome show, the FPO podcast. Yes. FPO podcast with two S's or is that a typo? That is a typo. And then there's an underscore at the end. And then there's an (laughs) underscore at the end. Glad we're we're catching this live. Um, And then you host that with uh, Kane Rob as opposed to Mm -hmm. Kanye Rob, which it always autocorrects to in my head. Uh, (laughs) Who's at Kane Rob on the Twitter and Tanner Larson, who's at Tanner Larson 11 on the Twitter. I've listened to the show. Love the show. Thank Excited you. to be on the show, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully points. we'll get you on pretty soon here. Still waiting on that invitation. A little hurt. <laughs> hey, it's I okay. gave you like an informal invitation before the show. <laughs> hey, people don't get to peek behind the curtain. Yeah. Rule number one. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Breaking it's rules like already. Jimmy Kimmel show when it first launches. Dude, the green room is a prime ticket. That's oh, where yeah? the party's at. You got to earn that spot. That's true. Um, And then you're also a contributor to the breakout finder at breakout yep. underscore finder. Read some of your work there as well. Love it. We'll get a little into that later. Uh, But first, we've already talked a bit about the Niners. We've talked a bit about the Cardinals. Let's get into another NFC team, your NFC team, your NFL team, the Minnesota Vikings. What are your expectations for 2021 and how will you be hurt? Oh, gosh. They do hurt me a lot. And uh, I will. I'm just assuming I'm going to get hurt again this year. And I think it's going to become very early, actually. Uh, and it's going to come That's in the NFL draft. Uh, just because, yeah. Here's the thing. I'm mu- very much a proponent of playing to your strengths as a team. And, you know, we've signed Kirk Cousins to a, a fairly large contract. We've also extended him. And we still refuse. A fully guaranteed contract, yes, I believe. And we still, to this day, refuse to give him an above, you know, offense, above average offensive line. And so... You know, if they don't pick, you know, one of the three between Sewell, Slater, and I think Christian Darasa, those the top three left tackles in the draft, I'm just gonna be very sad. I think they'll all be there, but I you don't know. think Sewell will be there. Where are no, you no, guys no, no. picking? I'm just saying one or fourteen. I'm saying I'm yeah. hoping one of them is is there, one, and I think it'll probably be Darasa might be there. So, yeah. uh, I would, yeah, I'd say one of them you definitely got a shot at. I actually, right. I just did a my one and only mock draft. The only okay. one I'm doing this season. I did it for Jordan Vanek. Uh, he's got this um, charity mock draft. Sure, retweeted about it. Feel free to check that out. Um, and so I'm trying to like see if I can pull it 
up and right. figure out. Well, I can talk to you I... while you're pulling it up, but yeah, let's vamp a little. Why like not? you said, like I just I'm gonna I just feel like I'm gonna get hurt because they aren't gonna address the offensive line. We lost arguably our best offensive lineman in Riley Reef um, uh, to free agency, and yeah. I'm just concerned about you know that part of it. However, we have upped our game on the defense, and I think our defense is going to be more like what it's been you know the previous years not last year because last year was really bad like all right you know our, i think we were like 27th or 29th in the league uh but we have Daniel hunter bad. coming back yeah it was really bad so we have Daniel hunter coming back um you know eric Kendricks was out for a bit anthony barr um you know we signed patrick peterson so i i think it's gonna you know take a turn and, you know, kind of be like the old Vikings. You had, uh, what'd you have? You had Yannick and Gakwe for like a hot second. Yeah. I was like, we, we oh my God, don't even get me started on that. We like basically traded back to have Yannick and Gakwe on our team for two games. And then we went back like 15 picks in the second round, which. Ugh. And then you gave them to the Ravens. You just I know. Named the rich what Richard. are you doing? But, I know, oh. dude. It's so sad, but I actually think they're going to be pretty good this year. I, our offense still has plenty of weapons on it. I, I'm a huge Kirk fan. I know a lot of Vikings fans aren't, but I love Kirk Cousins. He's hyper accurate. I like and Kirk. I, yeah, he's just a really, he's a good quarterback. And, you know, if he had an offensive line, I'd make comparisons to like someone like Drew Brees, where he didn't really have that many weapons throughout his career. I mean, he usually had like a pretty decent one, but his offensive line was always good. And Drew Brees was just always able to have that time, you know, to light it up. So I like Kirk Cousins. Obviously, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook. So I think yeah. we'll be uh, a playoff team, but it'll okay. be again. So we almost made it this past year. And I think we're just going to, you know, hopefully the injury bug doesn't plague us again on defense. And I think we make the playoffs just barely, but not Super Bowl contender. I'm not going that far. Yeah. I think you guys got hit a little bit with the COVID issue. I think right. you guys were going to be a rebuild on defense and then you got never got a chance to rebuild. No, like I actually, I was higher on the Vikings D than a lot of people were. Cause I was just like, Zimmer's a defense like he's a coach yeah. that can handle defensive rebuild like they've got some talented pieces and then with COVID with Daniel Hunter being that it was just like it never stood a chance um you are in luck though because I do think you guys will pick up Christian Darisoff he's who I've got mocked to right Minnesota yeah Vikings. I'm really hoping so so um, yeah that'd be awesome well from a fantasy perspective uh obviously Dalvin Cook we expect to be good do you think yep. he'll be the RB1 should we maybe save that I, for later if you do? Yeah, we could save that for later. Um, um, yeah, but let's who save else? that for later. <laughs> you, guys, you guys have some offensive talent. Kirk yeah. Cousins, QB1 contender, not QB1 overall, by the way, before yeah. the just, like mentions just start flooding. Okay. Just a QB1. QB1? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Dalvin Cook, an actual VRB1 contender, and then Justin right. Jefferson, some would like to believe a wide receiver one yes. uh, contender. You know, like so, there's talent on that team. Yeah. Uh, I think people aren't going to like this, but I think people are going to be disappointed with the pass catchers, at least Justin Jefferson this year. Because with because the thing is, is like because our defense was so bad last year, we were forced to throw more than we wanted to. You know, and I think if you go back to 2019, which our team, which I think our team is going to look like more. What happened when people were drafted Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs that year? They were disappointed. You know, Diggs didn't even go over a thousand yards because they're running the ball and they play good defense, you know, and I think that's what the Vikings want to do. So, you know, I think he's going to, there, there might be some disappointment there, especially with Justin Jefferson because of the hype, uh, you know, also, but I think in some ways, 
Adam Thielen had 14 touchdowns and uh, Justin Jefferson only had seven. So I think in some ways, like the yards will come down for Justin Jefferson, maybe more touchdowns. Adam Thielen will probably have more yards, less touchdowns, and things kind of balance out a bit. But I think there's going to be some disappointment, but I still think both of them easy top 20. Just yeah, not top ten. I, I I would I would agree. I think Jefferson even has a shot at top ten. I don't mm-hmm. think he has a shot at being the wide receiver one. No, uh, because I do agree. Like you got Dalvin Cook there, you're going to use him plenty. They like to be an efficient team, though. Cousins can air it out a little bit. Yeah. Um, okay, well, all right. We'll keep not things are not looking bad for the Vikings. They're just no. not going to be amazing. <laughs> right. Um, exactly. Well, let's let's focus on just some things that are amazing you sure. our lovely guest oh thanks so how did you get into fantasy football what what uh what was the first experience yeah uh so i don't have like a super interesting uh backstory i guess i started about 10 years ago when i was in high school uh you know one of my co-hosts tanner was uh the one that kind of got me into it um i do have a kind of a funny story about it was either my first or second season playing it was about week three, and uh, I dropped Jordy Nelson for Torrey Smith in his rookie year, I believe. And uh, it was like the game that Torrey Smith decided to go off for like three touchdowns. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, my first time. I was like, this guy's so good. And Jordy N- Nelson disappointed. And I got absolutely roasted by my league mates for doing that because then it was everyone trying to scramble to grab Tor- uh, Jordy Nelson that year. So that was like one of the things. And then the thing that kind of kept me kept me around was – you know, some of my buddies, we we would uh, before the um, before we drafted every year, we would take a trip out to like this island on this lake that we lived on or lived near, and we would camp and we just talk fantasy football for like ten hours straight. You know, sit around a bonfire and it was just it was always a good time. And eventually, I just kind of ended up on Twitter. <laughs> okay, well, so yeah, let's actually let's go right in that. I'll yeah. skip over you know my love of Tory Smith Maryland product that he yeah. is. Um, how did you get into content creation? Seems Twitter was an early part of it. Um, right. but what, what got you going down the road? Yeah. So Kane Rob, uh, he's a good friend of mine from college. Uh, I, I he's, his name is actually Kanan, which a lot of people don't know, but, uh, you know how you're saying that you keep thinking it was Kanye, like it people mispronounce. Yeah. 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 So his name was Kanan, K-A-Y-N-E-N. And people always would say Keenan or like Ooh, Kenyan. Yeah. And so like, okay. he was like, you know what? I'm just not going to worry about it. We'll do Kane and we'll leave it simple. So that's kind of funny that you mentioned that, but he, I think was on Twitter before I was. And then two summers ago, he asked myself and Tanner, um, who was a childhood friend of mine to just start, start up a podcast. So we started doing an FPO and we did like, I don't know, like five or six episodes just for fun. You know, I was, I was like a hundred followers at the time, not, not doing too much. And then we stopped, but I kind of just stayed on Twitter and I, I just loved interacting with people, you know, and eventually like, I don't know how I got 2000 followers, you know, I'm at like 1200 now. Cause I really didn't put out that much content, but um, you know, you know, I, one of the questions that I saw on the show, she was just, you know, advice for people. And I think that one of the things I try to be as much as possible, is just being authentic, you know, and just being myself and just trying to have some fun because that's what this game is, right? You know, we're just here to shoot some shit, play some fantasy football, watch some football, something we love to do. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of the... It's supposed to be fun? I think so. I've I think been that's out here works. like an asshole to everyone. Yeah. I thought we were supposed to bust everyone's balls, tell them why they're idiots, and, you know, just like absolutely like completely <laughs> dehumanize them. Have I been doing yeah. it wrong this entire time? 
Probably. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break well, it to you on show. We're live, and I know. The news so is you're wrong. You're an <laughs> asshole. And moving yeah. on. No. Um. I. That is seriously. That is great advice. Could not agree more. I think finding your brand, being authentic, doing something that is not going to be the same as everyone. Like. Right. You know, that's certainly our goal at the lateral. You guys with the FPO podcast, like that is definitely something different, something mm -hmm. you can't just find anywhere. I think you guys right. are nailing it. Um, and you also seem to be a, oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I would add a, a, like one or two more things to that list of things that like, yeah, you know, as far as proceed. content creation, because that's why we got you here. The thing is, is like, I haven't, like, I still have a long way to go, I think, as far as like, I don't know, getting myself out there and you know, like right, right now, like this is only the second podcast I've been, uh, been on outside of my own. Um, but I think the biggest thing is also just finding what you're good at, you know, and not being afraid to admit that like, oh, I'm not good at this, or I'm not very good at this. Like I've written a few articles, but I just don't think it's my strength. You know, like I, I can, you know, write some stuff. I like being analytical. I went to college and got a math minor, but honestly, I've also been performing my whole life. I've, I sing and I've been performing, you know, in college and high school. And so like when it comes to podcasting, I just feel, it feels more natural to me. And I think that's something I, I want to start leaning into. And I think I, that would be the same recommendation for other people. It's just lean in, lean into your strengths. And uh, yeah, I guess that's, that was my, my, my other tidbit on that. No, I think that is a great idea. Again, couldn't agree more, you know, do what you're good at, not what you think everyone says you should do like, right exactly if you're not good at putting out a weekly waiver wire article don't, <laughs> don't do, do that it. that's a yeah. terrible idea but if you're good at doing a weekly game show you know but it's yep. fantasy related people want to watch people want to listen like we'll do that that mm -hmm. that is what will get you success that is what will also more importantly bring you enjoyment throughout this whole process exactly yep um does DFS bring you enjoyment? Because I know you mentioned it in your Twitter bio. <laughs> yes, it does. It brings me a lot of enjoyment. Actually, it's something I've been trying to spend more time on. Uh, I've been trying to cut back on leagues, as everybody says. Everyone tries to cut back on leagues. It never happens. I'm really trying to hold strong because I do want to try to play DF DFS more and spend some more time in that. It's just something that I've, I've found a lot of enjoyment in. I mean, I know that some people don't like it because it's gambling, kind of, but... In my mind, like, so is all of fantasy. You know, we're all just gambling and spending money on it. So I'm like, I just enjoy it a lot. And, you know, I've spent about two years now. I've made just a, only a couple hundred bucks. But, you know, a couple hundred bucks is a couple hundred bucks, you know. And I, I just, I'm hoping to try to build up a bigger pool because I've seen, like, man, you can make a lot of money if, if you have enough money, you know, into DFS. And so it's something I'm just still... I've, I have a process, but I'm still just tipping my or dipping my toes in the water on DFS. So, well, so I'd say a couple things. One, sure, you got to get in touch with our boy Jordan. Jordan Vanek's absolutely phenomenal. Sure. At the DFS I would love stuff. to talk. I love DFS, so I'd love to talk to him. Two, I think if 2020 has taught us anything, breathing is a bit of a gamble. So you know, actually gambling, maybe not so bad. <laughs> Live a little. Uh, so, but why don't you touch just a little bit on that process that you've started developing? Right. Um, so my biggest thing, and this is going to kind of foreshadow a little bit and what we might talk about in, in a little bit here, but I'm, I've always been a big part or a big proponent of highly emphasizing process, you know, not even specifically looking at players, but literally just looking at an archetype 
of what, you know, brings success in fantasy football. And in DFS, I mostly, there's two different types you can play, right? There's cash games and there's GPPs. Essentially, cash games are like head-to-heads or, you know, double-ups where like you don't have to necessarily shoot for upside. It's more like redraft where you just kind of like draft best players, go for the floor. But I like to play tournaments. And when you play tournaments, you have to hit the perfect lineup in that week. And so like, um, you know, my process usually, you know, I looked at um, the Millie Maker last year for like the first 10 weeks, I think I was looking at it. There was an archetype and it was pick a high scoring game, run a quarterback from either side with one of the, with actually two pass catchers and a pass catcher from the other side or a running back from the other side. And that was like, just the just like you have to have that every time you know and so that's something i really try to play play into stacking is a huge deal in dfs and if you're not doing it tournaments like you're setting yourself up to fail you know even if it seems like a weird stack like i think a fun stack this year leading up might be something like throwing in daniel jones with kenny galladay and sterling shepherd like i i don't like daniel jones too much but he's probably going to be cheap in dfs and Kenny Galladay, we know, is a very good wide receiver, you know. And so those are the types of things we like to think about in DFS. And um, like I said, I'm still kind of dipping my toes into it, but I've made money on it. So I've been successful so far, and I hope I don't lose a lot of money. That's all I'm, that's all, that's all I'm here for. Yeah, I think Giants fans and uh, David Gelman are hoping that you're right about that yeah. fun stack with Kenny Galladay and Daniel Jones. Otherwise, <laughs> that's going to be a long 17 games. Right. Speaking of games. Game theory, you're a big proponent of it. You love tying it into fantasy. Why don't you explain to the layman, possibly myself, what game theory is and how you tie it into fantasy football? Right. So I think there's, I was trying to, you know, I want to put this into the easiest way I can. But the way I like to think about it is there's three kind of pillars to like, uh, I guess, game theory is how you're putting it or how I put it. And I think it's roster construction. There's drafting and trading, right? And like I said before, we can do a ton of research into what we think are what players are going to be good this year, what players are values. But if we aren't setting our roster up to to succeed and what normally succeeds, then you know it, it doesn't really matter. You know, so for example, I like to go robots running back, and there's a guest coming on later. You know that also has a, a uh, what's this thing zero wide receiver. Yeah. You know, and and I wrote an article about it and uh, it's essentially just, man, you just got to get those top end or running backs and whether it's traditional scoring, whether it's half PPR, whether it's PPR, it doesn't matter. It is extremely hard to win a fantasy championship without one of those top running backs. And no, you- I, 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 I absolutely think you're onto something, you know, I think, there's a reason that there's a lot of people that are proponents of robust running back or zero wide receiver, depending on what you call it. And I did read that article from the Mm -hmm. breakout finder where you talk about this. And I think you showed a lot why even in PPR, you, um, you still need to do this. Like you talked about, it's like people want to be grabbing like Michael Thomas or Devontae Adams in the first round. And like, well, that may still pay out a dividend, you know, the drop off between an RB one and an RB two versus a wide receiver it's, one and a wide huge. receiver two, it's statistically significant. Yep. Um, and and you, wanna, just, you can't deny that. Like it's stati- no, it's you statistics, can't. you know. Like I'm not. I, there's no bias in that, you know. And that's why I like I like to work with numbers as much as I can. I don't do it too often, but I do like to, and I like to try to 
based a lot of things. So to make sure that I'm checking myself, you know, when I'm looking for players, because I think when you're like researching specific players, like those are micro advantages, right? Like those are the ways you can kind of find late round wide receivers or running backs or whatever that are going to help you. But on a macro level, you have to have the right process or otherwise you're setting yourself up to essentially be an outlier, you know? So yes, that's important. Also, you know, if you don't mind me segueing, keep going with this article thing. Segway away. I'm about to admit something that I just discovered right before this podcast. That kickers exist? That's true. They do exist. It's not that though. I actually fell short a little bit in my, my research and my article, and I didn't realize it till just now. I was actually just one step too short. And But actually, what's funny is that my theory in my article was essentially between traditional and PPR scoring, when you look at, you know, the wide receiver and running back data set, I imagine that the running back data set is pulling apart and that the wide receiver data set is, is crunching together, essentially mm -hmm. raising the floor of wide receivers. Mm -hmm. And I didn't actually find that in my original findings, but then I realized I was one step too short and I, didn't, I, was, I wasn't looking at percentages. I won't go into the math behind it. But actually, it actually proved that my theory was right and that it was raising the floors of wide receiver twos and threes and even back end wide receivers ones, further putting that premium on top end running backs, even in PPR, actually, especially in PPR. You know, so I'm, I'm excited to talk to our next guest about some, uh, you know, zero wide receiver, no, robust I mean, running back uh, stuff. But that does totally make like, sense. Not only yeah. is there still the larger gap between your RB2 your RB1, but now you're bringing up the floor of your wide receiver twos and your wide receiver threes, meaning that there is more value in those yep. picks comparatively. Um, right. Totally get it. All makes sense. Yeah. Um, what you, actually, you said that got left out a little from your article. Was there any other takes, any other info <laughs> that got left out possibly? Well, in a tweet that I, I put out, I said that uh, Zeke was my, was going to be my RB1 for the year. That was a, uh, I don't know if I actually believe that. It was probably more of a hot take, uh, me just trying to seek for attention. I do that sometimes. Come on, everybody does it. It's fun. Uh, but I have no uh, idea what you're talking about. If I, yeah. I'm full of integrity, I've never yeah. done such a thing in exactly. my life. Exactly. But I, but on like on a real note though, Zeke was RB three through the first five weeks when Dak was playing. So it's not out of the question that Ezekiel Elliott could finish as running back one. I know people like to assume that he was washed last year and tony pollard is going to come back but if we're also not only did he lose dak but the offensive line for the dallas cowboys was absolutely torched last year and they had andy dalton starting and then they also had uh who was the other backup that they played it was like cooper rush or something i don't remember who it was i know yeah, cooper rush it was, was like a um a lateral Come on. Ben, uh, Ben Gnucci. Oh ben yeah. Danucci. Yeah, Danucci. man. There you go. <laughs> the new. So yeah, exactly. So, and that, that whole team was just not as efficient and it was really tough to score any fantasy points for all of those players. They have a crap ton of talent on that team. And I, I really think that that team is just going, yeah, the nooch. Uh, but I do think Ezekiel Elliott absolutely has RB one in his range of outcomes. He's actually never hit RB1 numbers. And so, like, I think Zeke is still a generational running back. And we've seen players like him produce elite fantasy seasons at a later age. He's only 25. He'll be 26 going into 2021. We saw Adrian Peterson put up, a, you know, uh, an elite season at, like, age 28. You know, I just 
I still believe in Ezekiel Elliott, even though I may not entirely believe he'll be the ac- actual RB1 for the season. Yeah, I mean, so RB1s from last season in PPR, you got number seven, James Robinson, number eight, Josh Jacobs, number nine, Ezekiel Elliott, number right. 10, Kareem Hunt, number 12, Mike Davis. Wouldn't shock me if Ezekiel Elliott's the only one that's on that list again next year. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And he was the, it was the literally the worst situation he could have been in. He won't be in a situation like that again, unless Dak gets, you know, breaks his ankle and the, you know, Dallas Cowboys line just goes, you know, gets hurt again. But yeah, I think that's all I got for that. Oh, Barry Sanders okay. hitting 2K um, at 29. That's what I, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, man. Ezekiel Elliott's one of those guys. He was, he's really, He's hashtag good at football. <laughs> so, yeah, I would I would say Barry Sanders hashtag good at football. Ezekiel Elliott hashtag good at football. Yeah, exactly. Um, we'll find out, I guess, once this drops on Spotify, if my internet connection is hashtag good at being connected, because I might have <laughs> had just a little lag in there. But I think I yeah. caught everything that you said at the very cool. least. So, for cool. our Spotify listeners, we're we're on Spotify now. Go check us out. I don't think they'll have noticed except for the fact that I just totally mentioned it right then. Right. Um, now they definitely know. And I guess I should also mention that we have another guest tonight. Yeah. It is the one, the only David, I'm going to butcher his last name, Kluge. Oh, you yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Hey, got it. Very, go. very short list of people that have actually gotten it right on the first time. <laughs> Like being on short lists, better than being on long lists or black lists. Yeah, I was um, watching this show leading up to my uh, segue coming in. And I mean, you guys are hitting everything that I like talking about. Ezekiel Elliott, robust running backs, late round wide receivers. You guys are speaking my language already. Well, Dave, member of the football guys staff at FBG News on the Twitter and a rioter for fantasy pros. And I believe I've got here NFL and NBA, but you also do some major league baseball. I think I was catching. I did. I did a while you back. Um, not okay. doing it this year. Trying to balance all three of those sports at once is nearly impossible. You know, <laughs> it was, it was fun doing it last year, but it is not something that I will ever be doing again. It's tough enough as a fan, like, especially like that moment when NFL NBA and major league baseball, like hit that perfect, like October moment. It's just like, Oh my God, I can barely keep it straight. And, and, honestly, and what I, what I do at fantasy pros are the game recaps too. So there were just games nonstop. So I'd wake up in the morning yeah. and I would just be spending four hours just writing game recaps to start my day. You know, it was just, just getting oh. thrown into the fire last season, figuring out by uh, making some mistakes. <laughs> Well, I would just like to point out that I heard uh, rioter for uh, the football guys, and I was trying to imagine Dave rioting for the football guys that, like, I don't even know. Are we going to, like, Rotowire? Are we going to Underworld rioting or something? Hey, What's going this on? is a family-friendly show. We're going to keep the talk about rioting guys to minimum. Sorry. <laughs> um, but we'll also mention that Dave does our Friday show with Steffi Smalls, a rising star of the industry, as we're all aware she hit 10K this past week um i guess i could mention that she's at steffi smalls with three l's on twitter but y'all mm. probably know that already and y'all probably know that dave is a jay cutler apologist and i want to know why yeah i mean this is a this is an answer that i feel like i have pretty well rehearsed because a lot of people ask me about it you can see this helmet right over my shoulder i'm, I'm, I'm pointing to it it's got a jay cutler signature on it i mean i was thrilled when we made the move i, I still remember being at work you know, uh, this was 
before texting was even a big thing. This is when you're paying for text and getting a phone call from somebody saying that we signed Jay Cutler. And uh, I think that they made the right choice by trading for him. He was 25 years old at the time, coming off a 4,500-yard Pro Bowl season. He had all of the makings to be a premier quarterback in the league. And it's one of those weird situations where, like, you never see a 25-year-old superstar quarterback getting traded. That's just not something that happens in the NFL. The Bears were in a really weird situation where Josh McDaniels came in there and decided that he was just going to uproot the entire organization. Him and Cutler, their egos were clashing, and the Bears were able to get this young stud. So I already mentioned the 4,500 yards, but in his final year with Denver, Cutler took 11 sacks. So let's fast forward two years now, two years into Chicago. He took 87 sacks in his first two years, 11 with Denver, 87 in his first two years with Chicago. I can't even make this up. So you'd think that they'd go out and, you know, sign in an offensive lineman, do something to help protect him, right? No. Instead, they bring in Brandon Marshall and they bring in Martellus Bennett. And they just do things to try to put more weapons around him while not giving him the protection he needed. Um, it, it was just a disaster. That whole tenure that Cutler spent here, in the eight years that he played in Chicago, he had five different offensive coordinators. Show me any quarterback in the NFL that can survive going into a new offense almost every single year. So, um, you know, I, I think the fans, the media, they all gave him a really hard time. But what I say all the time, the worst thing that Jay Cutler had going for him was his face. He just had this droopy face. He just looked unengaged. And you didn't see it in his play. You know, in his play, he's dropping shoulders. He's running people over. He's laying out for the first down. He's putting his heart out on the field. But then he takes his helmet off, and he's just got this pouty lip, and people hated it. I think the guy never got a fair chance, honestly. I, I think had he stayed in Denver, you know, we'd be talking about him as as one of the greats. Interesting. And it's that are you have you come to this opinion because of all the camel light stench reeking from the Jay Cutler helmet? Like my is, background, is the my tobacco is getting still, in your system? My background on my computer is still a picture of smoking Jay. It has been since the day he left Chicago. But I mean it was just <laughs> that's amazing. He, he was a fun player to watch. And I just like I said, I don't know if anybody could really have have succeeded in in the position that he was put in but really the big problem was once he started taking those licks in the first couple of years you know he was a very raw talent coming out of college and he had a lot of problems he was a one read quarterback threw off his back foot all the time and then you saw in his three years with denver him slowly getting better slowly getting better and then he hit that year three where he made the pro bowl and just looked lights out and then once he started taking those hits in chicago you saw him start to regress to all of those things that he had worked out of his system throwing sidearm, throwing off his back foot, you know, just force feeding the ball to Brandon Marshall. So I, I, I think that Chicago ruined what could have been an all-time great. Okay. Okay. Wow. I, you know, I, I think you haven't fully convinced me, but you've definitely given me some me too. for thought. You know, I, I just <laughs> um, shared the article today. Um, the GM from the Broncos that drafted Jay Cutler wrote an amazing piece. And it, it's not a quick read. I mean, this is something you've got to commit like 45 minutes to reading this article, but he's a guy that drafted Jay Cutler. And he talks about the entire situation where Josh McDaniels was infatuated with Tim Tebow and, you know, two years before they even, like, it, it's just, it's a bizarre story, but I would definitely recommend reading that. I might have to check that out. Um, well, we'll keep it on the bears. Maybe something more positive than Jay Cutler's tenure, though. Uh, given how you feel about Jay Cutler, I'm not sure. Uh, what do you think? 2021, are you hoping for some better things? Uh, as far as, we'll start with some NFL production real quick, but then we'll look at fantasy as well. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not too overly optimistic. Uh, it's It just feels like a team that's destined to float somewhere around 500, you know, with the 17-game season. Who knows if they're going to finish at, you know, 7-8 and eight or 8-7, eight and seven, but I, I don't see it being much better than that. And I, I think the biggest problem, you know, I, I really wanted Andy Dalton last year. When Andy Dalton, you know, was leaving Cincinnati, I really wanted Andy Dalton. And then we saw him playing in Dallas, and there wasn't anything about his game that inspired me whatsoever. So that now we go out and get him, and it's something that I wouldn't be that upset about. The reason I'm upset about it is because we got tantalized with Russell Wilson. Like, that is just the worst tease ever. Yeah, you dangle Russell Wilson in front of your face, and then when that doesn't work, hey, you know, well, we, we got Andy Dalton for you instead. Now, I hate to even use the term championship window because the Bears really don't seem like a team that's going to make the Super Bowl but they do have an elite defense that's aging quickly. So if there is any semblance of a championship window, this is probably the end of it right here. Akeem Hicks is 31. Khalil Mack is 30. You know, they, they put together a great team that's been dominant on the defensive end of the ball for years now. But this is really probably the last year that they'll be able to make a push. So I, I don't know what to expect. I feel like Dalton, you know, he, he's a decent veteran, but we still have those same O-line problems that have plagued us my entire life as a Chicago Bears fan. So I think that we're going to see a lot of Andy Dalton dropping back, not having any time to even go through his reads and just getting teed off on. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, entirely possible. I don't see anything there that I would vehemently disagree with. I think, I think Andy Dalton may surprise us all a little. I don't think he'll surprise us all a lot. Like, I don't think he's going to come out and be, like, elite or anything, especially given he's never been elite. Um, but... Take that I, back. He was, he, was a, he was an MVP front runner. What was it, back in 2013? He, yeah. He had that he was, one year. He is, one year he is, where he just he came out been, of nowhere. He has been very, very good at times. I like to... I, my, I will fully admit my dad's the one who I first heard talk about this term, but, like, there's the Hall of Fame, and then there's the Hall of Very Good... And like Andy Dalton at his peak was a hall of very good quarterback. Mm -hmm. Like Philip Rivers to me, honestly, he's like right on that border of like, is he hall of fame or is he hall of very good? I, and I'm probably a little lower than a lot of people. I would say I put Ben Roethlisberger similarly around there though, because of the ring, like maybe bump him into the hall of fame, but not as a first ballot guy. Like to me, if you're going to be elite, like I want to be talking truly elite. I want there to be no questions about mm-hmm. your talent. It's kind of weird. Um, now. It seems like any quarterback that just makes it through 10 seasons. They I mean, Justin Herbert, like, oh, like we're, we're all like yeah. Justin Herbert. He's absolutely elite. And I'm like, okay, would you like to give me Lamar Jackson for him? Sure. Done. <laughs> yeah. don't, even, don't even get me started on the Julian Edelman Hall of Fame talk. It's just ridiculous. We don't have to get you started. I think the consensus here is there is none. Yeah. He's a perfectly nice Boston. guy. <laughs> I just want to point out that like, I felt like on Twitter and I think I might've said this to Steffi, but I was like, it felt like someone said that Julian Edelman was hollow. Like was going to go to the, or should be in the hall of fame. And then everyone freaked out and we're just arguing against nobody that Julian Edelman should not be in the hall yeah. of fame. You know, that's a yeah, classic, was- you know, we're just, everyone's got to get their take on it. So I will yeah, say one, that is one guy he's a- on his 18th Sam Adams Matt- and he's like, Oh, Julian Edelman Hall of yeah. Fame, and then everyone just got fired up about it. Yes, exactly. That's definitely a fantasy Twitter staple, I have to say. 100%. Like someone sees a take somewhere and then like gets really fired up about it, and then people get fired up about it in the defense of that. And then my timeline is all just people agreeing with each other about why some <laughs> yeah. mythical person is wrong. I'm yeah. like, 
you're right. Chase Edmonds isn't a running back one. I don't, who thinks he is? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I do think though that Allen Robinson is a wide receiver one. Is there anyone else on the bears you think I should be on the lookout for in 2021? Perhaps Dave Montgomery, I think is the really interesting one. No, I'm not really sold on David Montgomery. Um, you know, he he's shown some flashes of being decent, but he hasn't really done anything that's impressed me. What he had last year down the stretch was just, uh, you know, it was, it was just the perfect storm for a fantasy quarterback. The, the, the Minnesota Vikings defense was shredded. They had every single person pretty much injured. The Packers were just literally Swiss cheese on defense. Nobody could, you know, anybody can run through them. So you've got David Montgomery who has no competition whatsoever. Cordero Patterson is the only guy that was getting touches out of that backfield. And he was seeing, you know, three to five a game. So you've got no Tariq Cohen and just a cake schedule down the stretch. So I'm happy for David Montgomery. He won a lot of people fa- uh, fantasy championships last year, made a lot of people a lot of money, but that backfield got really crowded with Tariq Cohen coming back from his ACL injury, Damian Williams in there now. And, and we don't really know what to expect from Andy Dalton. So David Montgomery, I think that he might be able to bounce back, but Looking at where he's ranked right now, that ADP is just way too rich for my blood. That being what said, what is you his ADP? Um, I did check last I saw he was in the late teens, but I wouldn't be taking okay. him anywhere outside of like the mid 20s at this point with guys like you know Clyde Edwards Alaire and Josh Jacobs, even. There's so many other when you look at that tier of running backs, he's the one that sticks out as having the absolute lowest floor of them all. Right. But you already hit on Allen Robinson. We've seen Allen Robinson put up wide receiver one numbers with Blake Bortles, Mitch Trubisky. It it doesn't matter who's throwing the ball to him. So funny enough, Andy Dalton might be the best wide receiver that Andy, that, that Allen Robinson has ever played with in his professional career. So I think not not might Andy Dalton is the best quarterback that Allen Robinson has ever played with. And I don't think it's particularly, we won't even say might yet. We'll, we'll, we'll we'll go ahead and say that. So maybe big Dick Nick, that's about it. (laughs) No, I mean, maybe if he was playing with the Eagles a few years ago and captured that, like, you know, few weeks of magic, maybe, but the, the Nick Foles that played on Chicago was maybe the worst quarterback in the league. I mean, he was (laughs) terrible last year, but uh, Jacksonville was pretty bad. You mean uh, Mike Lennon? No, no, I'm no Nick Foles. Nick Foles on Jacksonville. Nick That's... Foles played for Jacksonville when <laughs> he, he he got hurt he gave in him the a three-year deal. Yeah, they gave him a three-year deal. It was uh he actually he ran he ran a touchdown drive on their first drive of the season and looked oh, pretty that's sharp. Right. And it was then he not took that hit, went down, oh. and and then Minshew Mania took over because that's Nick Foles right. got hurt. Yep. So Allen Robinson wow. though he's going to see 150 targets. He's going to see a thousand yards. You can lock him in. I mean, I could go suit up as quarterback for the bears. And I think Allen Robinson would still be able to find a way to get a thousand yards. So I'm not worried about him. All this man has done is defied the odds his entire career. He's still going to be a low end wide receiver one. Yeah. What about Darnell Mooney? I I really like Darnell Mooney, but um, I I don't like Andy Dalton throwing the ball to Darnell Mooney. And that's, that's kind of my fear. Um, you know, Darnell Mooney, he's great at getting down the field. He, we, we saw it last year. He was just confis- consistently blowing the top off the of defenses and getting wide open. And Mitch couldn't make those throws. Foles couldn't make those throws. I don't think Dalton's going to be able to make those throws either. So unless we can bring in a young guy with a big arm, Darnell Mooney is just getting wasted on this roster, unfortunately. And I, I think it kind of plays into what you're saying about the offensive line. Like if they're not giving Andy Dalton enough time to actually let those plays develop – Andy Dalton's, you know, Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky, were, they were just throwing it up. 
mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, they had to. And then there's overthrowing Darnell Mooney, you know, <laughs> you know, you see clips on Twitter, just absolutely atrocious. Yep. And you're like, come on, Darnell Mooney. So, well, well, one, of the, one of the big clips last year that was going around, too, was a play call coming in. And you see Foles take the play call and then start muttering like underneath his breath. And they talked <laughs> I did about not see this. Game. And he said that what happened is Nagy kept calling these plays that took a long time to develop, you know, where they're right. crossing receivers over the middle and running a play action. And he's like, I can't even finish my drop before I've got defenders in my place, in my right. face. And you're calling these plays that are taking five seconds to develop and we don't have yeah. an offensive line. So his frustrations were very visible last year and they've done nothing to improve that offensive line. Yeah. Well, that might be, I think, the real issue then for anyone who's hoping to like view Andy Dalton as a streamer this year if that offensive line isn't any good it's going to be tough for him i think to be all that more productive despite the fact that there are weapons on that chicago offense um so so the bears and the uh cowboys offensive lines according to pff were ranked within a couple spots of each other last year so he's looking at a very similar situation with an offensive line the only difference is we have Allen robinson and darnell mooney he was playing with amari cooper michael gallup cd lamb Ezekiel Elliott, you know, he was playing on a loaded offense with a bad offensive line and didn't look great. So now he's playing on a team with a bad offensive line without the weapons. I'm just not expecting that much. Yeah. You have to, you have to give the play calling advantage, honestly, to um, Kellen Moore in Dallas. Is that who it is? I believe. I know the the bears switched it up mid season. They went from a Nagy calling the plays to bill laser calling the plays. Laser's not. I think I prefer more a little, but laser could be worse. Didn't Nagy say he was going to call plays again, though? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Nagy's trying to save his hide. I so actually, while we're on the subject, and then we'll transition. I think out of Bears talk, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are they still around when we're talking about the Bears again this time next season? Yeah, if they make the playoffs, and and it's a weird situation because mm-hmm. Matt Nagy. I mean, he. Mitch Trubisky was a terrible pick. There, there's no way around that. Trading up, you know, I, I remember on draft night seeing the Bears traded up to two. Me and my buddies are high five in. I'm like ready to order my Deshaun Watson jersey. And then Mitchell Trubisky, <laughs> what? I mean, it was just gut-wrenching. So yeah. I don't I don't think that he had a lot to work with with Mitch Trubisky. But at the end of the day, Nagy's made the playoffs twice and he's got a winning record. So it's, you know, you hear it all the time that Nagy's on the hot seat. But w- it's like the same thing we saw with Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith was consistently putting out a team that was winning, make the playoffs every single other, or every other year. And he got canned after a decent career. And it's just, you know, Chicago fans are the absolute worst. I can say that as somebody born and raised in Chicago, Chicago fans suck. I'm, 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 as someone who hopes to travel to Chicago one day, I'm going to have no comment personally. <laughs> Oh, beautiful city, beautiful city. <laughs> You'll love your time there, but don't try to tell any Bears fans that, you know, just any reasonable conversation with them. Fair enough. Fair enough, Sam. It seemed like you had a comment. Well, you to make. I was just going to say it, it kind of seems like, and I feel like since I've kind of tried to like, you know, dive into fantasy football more and just learn more about just the, the game in general, it just kind of seems like the people that don't really care too much about football, but do watch football, which is the majority of people, you know, just the casual fans, they just get impatient. Like they're just really impatient. Cause the same thing with the Vikings in some sense, mm-hmm. Mike Zimmer has been a fantastic coach for the Vikings. We've had, you made the playoffs three times, made an NFC championship, but people don't like him. I don't necessarily like him, but I still think he's an amazing coach, you know? And so it's, you know, there's a lot of, 
most fan bases are, are very similar, I think. And people just, we, like, I just, I'm like, I can't stand Vikings fans. Like, you know, I'm just like, get out of here. I just don't want to talk to you anymore because it's, it's incredibly annoying. So I feel you, Dave. Yeah. Had, had, you know, you guys made a field goal a few years ago, people wouldn't even be right. talking about Mike Zimmer being on the hot seat, but a kicker yeah. misses a field goal. And now they're saying, yeah, it's, it's crazy how the, the head coach and the quarterback just take the blame for everything. Everything. Yep. Yeah, I, I think for me, the big issue will be if they fail again, I think it'll make sense to get rid of the GM. When a GM gets rid of a head coach can sometimes not be far behind. So even though Nagy has had some good seasons to go with some of the bad seasons and may not be his fault for a lot of the stuff. Again, like there was always the conversation with Bill O'Brien, like is Bill O'Brien, the coach actually bad? Like is just mm-hmm. Bill O'Brien, the GM actually bad? Cause like, I would say, you could argue it was fair to fire Bill O'Brien as GM of Houston. Right. He did a terrible job, but as coach, he was actually like pretty decent. Like they performed, I think above expectations a little partially because of the decimation he did to his own roster. Like, again, it's tough in that instance. Cause it's such an intertwined thing with him running both roles, but it's like, yeah, I, you know, if you got a GM who wanted to work with Nagy, I, you know, maybe there is no reason to get rid of Nagy, but sometimes these GMs want to bring in their own guys. The ownership just wants a clean sweep. So I think, I think that'll be interesting, but I would agree if they make the playoffs, you know, why not run it back again? Um, all right. Well, I asked Sam about this. So I'll ask you too. How did you start playing fantasy football? What was that first season? Like that first draft pick? Do you remember that first draft pick? Yeah, so I was, you know, playing fantasy football before I was ever actually playing it. My, my dad was playing fantasy football back before the internet was even a thing. And, you know, his buddies, he was the commissioner of the league. His buddies would call in with their lineups on Sunday mornings. He'd write them all down on some scratch paper. We'd be watching a halftime show and tallying up stats. So that was my introduction to fantasy football as like a six-year-old kid. And I loved it. And then when I was in junior high in sixth grade, I had a teacher that started us with math baseball, he called it. And right before the season would start, we would pick the players that we want. You know, it was really just a very archaic fantasy baseball league. But for him, it was a way to teach to, you know, we'd bring in the newspapers. And that's how we the last five minutes of class, we'd go through the box scores, tally up all of our, you know, team's points. And that's how I started playing. The first time I actually did my own fantasy football league. I just destroyed. My dad finally let me in when I was 14 years old, and I just crushed the league. The team I had, Donovan McNabb, Sean Alexander, LaDainian Tomlinson, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, and Tony Gonzalez. All of those guys finished top three in their position that year. I was going to say, that is an insane. How does that even happen? Uh, If you look at the – things were weird. I took Donovan McNabb was the first overall pick. Like think like you didn't have all yeah. of the yeah. info that you have available now. Sure. It's like it, back in the day, you'd pick quarterbacks because they scored the most points. And now there's so much data and analytics and history right. and people putting in. But back in the day, you just picked players you liked. It was a lot more informal. So he kicked me out of that league because he thought that I was cheating because I just crushed everybody. So I got one taste of that. And then I went into high school the very next it. year, commissioned my own league. And I've just been commissioning that league ever since. So. Here's the uh, the trophy right here. We we That's started sick. in 2009 with the same, but we got 2009 all the way up to this year with uh, with everyone's names on there. So that's the hometown league that we've had going for quite some time. But uh, yeah, I've I've been doing fantasy sports for a long, long time. Awesome, and it seems like you've been doing the fantasy content for a while as well. How'd you get started in that? So that was a a, a little bit 
Yeah, I, I've been doing it for a while, but I was doing it anonymously for a while. I was on Reddit, and that's where I got my start, um, which is the worst place to ever post your content. But I feel like it really kind of sharpened me and made me a better content producer because of that. Uh, mm -hmm. So I was doing everything anonymous. You know, I was writing full-length articles pretty much and just posting them as a text post on Reddit, you know, the r backslash fantasy football, and was doing that for a few years. And then somebody from Fantasy Pros reached out to me and they said, hey, would you be interested in writing for us? And I thought I was having a fever dream. You know, I pinched myself. So went on the Fantasy Pros team. And, you know, when I when I got that email or that that DM on Reddit, I thought that I was going to be the next Mike Taglair. And it didn't really work out that way. You know, I started at the absolute bottom doing NBA game recaps and injury reports. Right. So did that for about a year. Um, was kind of slowly climbing my way up in Fantasy Pros. And then in August, uh, Adam Koffler, one of my buddies from Fantasy Pros, he said, hey, why aren't you on Twitter? He's like, you need to get out on Twitter, start marketing yourself, right. sharing your content. So I hopped on Twitter in August, um, got hooked up with Elvin Ryan and started writing some articles for his website, then started doing some podcasts in December and um, just have been kind of running with it ever since. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's great stuff. Um, do you have any advice for those Aside from not posting anonymously on Reddit necessarily, because <laughs> um, it seems like you're fairly anti that. You're like, maybe work for me, but, you know, maybe not what I'd recommend. Uh, what other advice do you have for those getting into content creation in the fantasy space? Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got a lot of advice. Um, the, the biggest one would just be to avoid the drama. There's so much drama like every single day you've got people just going at each other's throats and attacking each other's companies and attacking each other's brands. And as somebody who works with a lot of, you know, the, the, the higher ups over at Fantasy Pros and football guys, they see everything. Like you think that you're out here just, you know, having a little argument between two people, but you don't understand that people with big eyes are noticing that. And I, I can tell you from, you know, firsthand conversations that these people that are drama starters are getting blacklisted by the big companies and they're not going to get their mm. breaks because people don't want to work with people like that. So avoid drama be positive, help build people up. And that was one of the biggest things for me is uh, I, I did get some help when I started in the industry, you know, had, working at Fantasy Pros, I had some of those connections. And um, I, I, I reached out to Mike Taglayer with one of the first articles that I wrote. And I sent it over to him. And I said, Hey, man, would you mind looking over this for me? It would really mean a lot to get feedback from somebody like you. And I saw that he read the message, and then didn't respond to me. So I was just like, Yeah, well, whatever, that's kind of what I expected. And then the next day he gives me this huge breakdown, like went through <laughs> everything and just, you know, Hey, I like this. I don't like this. Maybe try to make the point a little bit clearer by doing this. And I was just blown away that like at the time I had 150 Twitter followers and Mike Taglair is taking like an hour out of his day to like really right. critique one of my articles. So that that's something I, I say this all the time. Um, if you're ever looking for feedback, you know, I, I don't have time to watch 20 shows a day, so I'm not going to be able to no. give feedback on shows. But if you've got an article that you want to look over, send it my way. I'm more than happy to look through it. And I might not I, I'm not just going to pat you on the back and tell you you did a good job. I'm going to give you constructive and critical feedback because that's what helps people get better. So many people are just willing to say, hey, you're doing a great job, even when the content sucks. And I don't think that's beneficial yeah. to anybody. It makes you look mm -hmm. like a fraud for promoting somebody who isn't yeah. doing well, and it doesn't help the person get better. So I'm going to give you mm -hmm. constructive feedback because that was what was critical in helping me kind of, you know, polish my skill set a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that all makes sense. And I would like also agree that it's like, if I'm reaching out to someone like you, someone that works with a professional operation, like, 
I'm wasting the opportunity if I'm not trying to get some constructive feedback. Like, unless it turns out I'm really that good, which trust me, I'm not, you're not. (laughs) Like it's, you know, it's like, there's always somehow some room for improvement. Like I think even Mike Taglier would say that like, he guarantees that somewhere in his stuff, which is the cream of the crop to the rest of us out here, he would be like, there's, there's X, Y, Z where I can do better. Like I just know it. And yeah, I caught it once. Like, I was I was scrolling through Fantasy Pros, reading up once, and I caught a typo. And it was like, I was so happy. I sent it to Mike right away, and I was like, hey, Mike, man, I found a typo. You better get this fixed ASAP. <laughs> that is that Just taking is your op- opportunity to just, like, uh, cut out his legs or something. Well, <laughs> uh, I mean, that was that was worth it just to bring you on for that a little. I mean, that's all the time we have, guys. No, um, <laughs> we still got plenty more to get into, including picking wide receivers. Talked a little about zero wide receivers so i figured we talk about some wide receivers first and then go into why you shouldn't draft them right away um what is your process for finding some value picks a wide receiver uh my process is pretty simple i look for guys that either had a lot of targets in the previous season and underperformed or are in a position to see increased targets the following season so there's always these weird market inadequacies that i can't wrap my head around so i'll just highlight two of them right now the first being Robbie Anderson, he out-targeted DJ Moore last season. He's got a rapport with Sam Darnold. I don't understand why Robbie Anderson is getting three or drafted three rounds behind DJ Moore. I understand that DJ Moore has the intangibles and, you know, the measurements, and and he definitely has a sky-high ceiling. But we already saw it last year. Robbie Anderson is the focal point of that offense. So I would much rather wait three rounds to get Robbie Anderson than to reach for somebody like DJ Moore. And I'm actually, I'm going to interject there as a former Temple alum. Matt Rule was Robbie Anderson's head coach. Like, thank you. Yeah. Matt, there is no one on that roster, including CMC, that Matt Rule wanted there more than Robbie Anderson. I'm not saying that Robbie Anderson's better than CMC. Like, please, please leave, leave the hate out of my DMs. I swear. But Matt Rule wants Robbie Anderson there so bad, and he is going to utilize him. So I 1,000% agree. I was saying it last offseason. I can't remember exactly what the contract was, but everyone was hyping up DJ Moore, and I think it was $40 million or something. Whatever it was, he got a big contract. And I said, no team pays a player this much money unless they want him to be the focal point of the offense. And sure enough, he was. And now we're heading into next year, and people still can't wrap their minds around it. So so that's what I like to look for is, you know, the the guy that's getting the targets. Those are the guys that are going to give you a safe floor every single week. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, Sam, you seem like you had something you <laughs> yeah, want to add. Well, I'm waiting to see what Sam says. Well, I was going to say, just because they're using Robbie Anderson in the, in the you know primary role doesn't mean it's right, but it is happening. Right. <laughs> you know, right. you know, because like I, if I were them, I would have used DJ Moore in that role and put Robbie Anderson in the role they put DJ Moore in. Like, as far as their skill set goes, it didn't really make sense to me, but you know, like, I'm not the coach. So, yeah. you know, if Robbie Anderson's getting most of the targets, like that's kind of what we have to watch there. So I, I agree I, with I, that. I think a lot of the people are just overthinking it for that reason. Right. And, it, and it does make sense. Like you'd think that DJ Moore should be the guy going across the middle, making those contested mm-hmm. catches while Robbie Anderson is flying down the sideline, but they didn't play it that way that last year. And people are expecting just this, you know, fundamental shift in how the Panthers are playing their game. But I just don't see it happening. The other big inadequacy that I see right now and I'm going to catch a lot of hate for this. I know it. But uh, last year, Tyler Lockett out-targeted DK Metcalf. And right now, DK Metcalf is the third receiver going off the board. Tyler Lockett's getting dropped into the sixth and seventh round. 
obviously DK Metcalf's ceiling is significantly higher than Tyler Lockett's. I'm not trying to say that Tyler Lockett is going to outperform DK Metcalf, but why would you spend uh, a late first, early second round pick on somebody who's going to be just as involved in the offense as Tyler Lockett is somebody that can be had in the same tier as, you know, Damian Williams. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Yeah. Uh, That's definitely all valid. Yeah. 100%. What are your thoughts on Deontay Johnson? Cause I feel like he might fall in a similar, you know, thing that you're looking for. I'm just curious. Yeah. I I just put him on my list. I, I did a list yesterday of, you know, the favorite, uh, mid to late round wide receiver targets for me and Deontay Johnson. Yeah, he uh, he, he was on that list. I'm a, I'm a big fan of him. People are yeah. starting to write him off because of the drops, but we've seen we see this all the time. You know, drops, fumbles, they suck, they get coaches mad, but they're also very sporadic and tough to predict. We saw this two years ago with Chris Carson, he coughed up the ball for a few games, and people are still giving him grief about it. Like that, yeah. that guy is going to finish as a top 10 running back in 2020, make no doubt about it. But people are still worried about his his fumbling from a few years ago. People and and I just I, I don't think it's gonna happen. He gets the most separation, he gets the most targets. And I understand that, that wide receiver core is crowded with Juju Smith Schuster coming back there, Chase Claypool emerging. But Deontay Johnson is the guy that can easily see 150, 160 targets next year. Dude, he I think got he's 140. T- yeah, okay. He got 140 targets with both of them there. Like, why yeah. would that change? You know, and he was hurt for a lot of like he was banged up a lot of the season. So I agree. So I I, I love Deontay Johnson. Yeah. He's a he's a guy that I would be very very comfortable taking as my wide receiver one on a running back heavy draft. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only thing that's changing about that offense is now the running back is Kalen Balaj. So the run game will be a little bit better this year than it was last year. Um, Kalen Balaj to the moon. Don't remind me. Trust me. Um, Honestly, no. we, do we want to talk about Kalen Balaj? Because I like Kalen Balaj. We can year. talk about Kalen Balaj. <laughs> I'm here hey, for it. I give us an we should talk-ish talk- for a reason. Like, let's yeah. go. We should, we should talk about Kalen Balaj because I know for a fact that Herms is listening. So, and I just, I can't imagine he feels great about that. So this would be, this would be great. <laughs> so we, we see this all the time. We see good running backs in Pittsburgh go to another team and not be so good. You know, they've got a great run scheme there. They always, you know, invest in their offensive line and Kalen Balaj hasn't really had a good offensive line his entire career. So or coach. I think that, or a coach. Yeah. And now he goes to one of the strongest organizations with a great coach, a decent offensive line. And, you know, everybody loves to poke fun at that. What was it? 2.1 yards per carry, something like that in his Miami days. But what he's a beast. Like he's six foot three or something like that. Like he's just a freaking monster. I think that he is going to fare just fine in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I I could genuinely. It's like if they draft someone, will it shock me? No. If they draft Najee Harris, will it shock me? Maybe a little. I could see them right. taking someone more as a complimentary piece. I think Kalen Balaj will be involved in that offense in some way. They didn't bring him in for no reason. Whether he's what was ultimate... the contract he signed? You're gonna put me on the spot. Here. I usually I usually care about contracts a little bit at least. You know, just so, no, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I totally yeah, get that. Know. That's why I'm actually like not so hyped on James right. Conner because he only got paid 1.5 million. It's Oof. backup money. Yeah, yeah, well, man. comparatively, like Kalen Balash, nine hundred twenty thousand. So, oh, oh god, do with, yeah, that's that's do pretty with brutal. That what oh. you will, but it's let's a tie that show. back to let's tie that it's back to the show. David Montgomery. Uh, yeah. Tariq Cohen is the fifteenth highest paid running back in the NFL, so Wild. they're going to be getting him used next year. So, 
remember that David Montgomery stands. David Montgomery <laughs> will not be an RB one next year. There's just no. there is not enough to go around on that offense, and they will use Tariq Cohen. They want to use Tariq Cohen. That's why they didn't trade Tariq Cohen for Carson Wentz, which was apparently a thing that existed <laughs> on Twitter for a hot second. Um, yeah, I I totally agree there. Um, you know, I uh, <sighs> something I want to say. I would say before we move on, something I wanted to say about the David Montgomery situation was. Something I like to think about a lot, just like, uh, I guess, conceptually, is that I feel like oftentimes great situations can make average players look great. And I feel like David Montgomery was in that situation last year. And I think people like to compare it to Jonathan Taylor, but like, because it was very similar, but I'm just like, anyone who thinks that David Montgomery is as good as Jonathan Taylor is kidding themselves, you know? And so like, people should definitely expect him to differ David Montgomery. Jonathan Taylor did his thing with Naheem Hines still on the roster. Yeah, like, there right, was no yeah. Naheem Hines in Chicago, which is Tariq Cohen barely <laughs> produced. We well, didn't even get Tariq Cohen. He was out the whole. I season. know that's what I'm saying. Like, now yeah. he's coming back. Yeah, Tariq Cohen, like he's going to get a lot of usage in that offense. He could yeah. get Naheem Hines level usage. I don't think he'll get Naheem Hines level fancy points, but that's a whole different conversation. Um. And another different conversation is you landed on DK Metcalf in 2020. How did you get there? What was your thought process hitting that pick? Uh, the shirtless picture of it, man. That I was sold after I saw that. How, how good you and Pete Carroll, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but really, you know, I like to claim that DK Metcalf is one of my biggest wins from 2020. But I was advocating to take DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. No one was really mm-hmm. sure who that wide receiver one was going to be. And well, you know, it, it obviously ended up being Metcalf. Um, it was really more of a wide receiver one A and B situation than like a clear cut one and two. So Metcalf finishes the wide receiver seven, but that was that red hot finish that he had. You know, he was wide receiver two for the first half of the year. He was wide receiver 39 for the second half of the year. And a lot of people just don't really like to talk about that that much. So overall in the season, you know, he finished well. Um, But really, you know, I was I was advocating to take both of those guys for the sole reason that uh, Russell Wilson has almost always produced a wide receiver one and there weren't a lot of people on there. I knew it wasn't going to be, you know, uh, who else was even there? David Moore. You know, it, it had to be either Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. Both of those guys were getting drafted in the sixth round. So pretty much every draft I was going into, I was taking one of those guys to be my wide receiver one. And uh, unfortunately it ended up being a pretty bad year for me because those guys did not finish the season too hot. So no. You know, a, a lot of those, a lot of my teams last year got off to a blazing hot start and then kind of died with the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> I yeah. saw the stat somewhere. It was like David Moore was the third most targeted player on the team and he didn't have, he had like 45 targets. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. I mean, it was the DK was Metcalf insane. and Tyler Lockett show. That was it in yeah. Seattle. There was nobody else getting involved. Yeah. I did. Then, you know, someone else who didn't quite get as involved as we would like to in 2020 was Mike Williams, who I think you're officially out on, finally. <laughs> you're willing to commit to I said that not the other day. Is he? Is he really? <laughs> yeah. It's, how do you quit a guy that's six foot four, blazing speed, can jump out of the stadium, and is tied to one of the best young Because when he jumps out of the, the stadium, he lands on something and breaks something. That's a very good point. That's a very like, good point. Every time. My, one, of my, one of my favorite things, and I, I highlighted this in an article I wrote last year, but NFL on their Twitter page, they came out with a Philip Rivers best plays of 2019. So this came out last offseason. Eight of those top 10 plays were 
Mike Williams adjusting and making some crazy acrobatic catch, like doing a backflip as he's coming down with the ball. And that was Philip Rivers' highlight reel from 20, yeah. 2019. Yeah. The talent's there. I don't think I don't think there actually is anyone of any reputable status that doesn't think the talent is there. Nobody is out there going, Mike Williams is not a good wide receiver, but right. he just cannot stay healthy. And I yeah. think that's really what it's come down to. And there's no reason to expect him to magically stay healthy in 2021. So, so here, I'll, I'll tell you guys this secretly. I'm not going to be advocating that everybody else go out and bur- or, or get Mike Williams because he's burned people for, for the last couple of years now. But me, secretly, I'm going to have a lot of Mike Williams shares next year. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Is there anyone you're concerned in 2021? It doesn't have to be a wide receiver necessarily, though. If you got one, great that you can see being the 2021 version of Mike Williams. Like you go in, you go, this guy's talented. There's no reason this shouldn't work. And then there's that reason that we always should have thought of where, Oh yeah, this is why it doesn't work. Yeah. And um, you know, I was, I was kind of thinking about that because there, there aren't many players that, you know, get drafted with that sort of capital and, and show these flashes of greatness and just can't really put it together consecutively over a career. So I feel like Mike Williams really is an outlier with like the trajectory and the flashes and everything that we've seen. It's a very weird situation, but I was trying to think of another fourth year receiver that everybody just keeps, you know, beating the drum every single year saying, this is going to be the year. And he just keeps letting people down. And uh, for, for me, I think that would be Christian Kirk. I was hoping you'd say yes. that. I was, And Christian yeah. Kirk is the one guy that I could think of. Um, it's just, it, it, it's frustrating to see, um, you know, he, he's got so much talent, but I'm afraid that he's going to end up getting overshadowed by Andy Isabella. And now you've got AJ green in there, which I mean, AJ green looked awful last year, but he, he's still there. It's another warm body. So I, I don't really know what to expect from Christian Kirk, but after being on that hype train for the last two years, uh, I think I'm going to be staying away from Christian Kirk this year. I, I, I would agree. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I was a Christian Kirk fan as well. There's talk that they might even draft a wide receiver and I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm Dude, out. I, I just said it. today, I'm like, what would Elijah Moore look like in that offense? I feel like that would be, that'd be pretty fun, you know, and right. that would probably take, that would probably make a uh, Christian Kirk, you know, obsolete at that point. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm afraid that Andy Isabella has already jumped above him on the depth chart. And that's interesting. But I, I mean, we've seen Christian Kirk like he'll, he'll he's almost kind of similar to Tyler Lockett, if you will. Like he has these games where he just blows up, and it's like, yes, right. we're finally seeing it. And then the next week, it's like two targets and nothing. Right. Yeah. I, I think Kirk is better than Isabella, but I would agree with Dave. Actually, I think that team values Isabella more. I think we saw some flashes of it last year. Yeah. And I'll be curious to see what happens this year. And luckily, I think I'll be curious holding zero shares of either guy, which works for me. Uh, <laughs> all right. Zero wide receiver. The topic that's taken up most of the brain power of this evening. (laughs) Dave, you are a big zero wide receiver guy. Sam's a big zero wide receiver guy. We've already heard why Sam is a big zero wide receiver guy. Why are you a big zero wide receiver guy? Well, first of all, I feel like it would be remiss not to plug my article that's coming out tomorrow morning for football guys that is going to be titled Zero Wide Receiver Drafting and Players to Target, where what I'm going to do is the beginning is just a full intro on why, and it's got tons of stats and data to back it up. And uh, it's an article that I wrote a few years back. 
And it seems like every single year I polish it up with last year's data and it just becomes more and more obvious that this is the way to go. So, you know, simply put, Elkow running backs are just a dying breed. 10 years ago, it seemed like every team had a running back that was going to see 200 carries minimum. Now coaches are starting to lean towards that these, you know, frustrating committees and it's just been a nightmare for fantasy managers. So in addition to these running back by committees becoming more popular, the league is also starting to pass more, which means that wide receivers are a lot, lot deeper. So um, I, I looked at this the other day and I pulled this in my article, but when you're looking at running backs and wide receivers that are both scoring 20 plus last year, there were three of each. And I don't, I don't have the names off the top of my head, but there were three running backs and three wide receivers that averaged 20 points per game. Once you get to 15 points per game, there are 14 running backs and 19 wide receivers. So that's when you start to see a little bit of a discrepancy. And then once you hit that 10 to 15 point range, there were 60 wide receivers that hit that point and only 36 yeah. running backs. So the amount of wide receivers that you can draft late that are still going to be serviceable week to week is just so much deeper. And then uh, another big thing, and I heard you guys talking about this a little bit, and I've got the numbers to back this up as well, but the fall off after you like the, the fall off between an RB one and an RB two is so much bigger than the fall off between a wide receiver one and a wide receiver two. So I, I didn't want to do just the top of the position and go down because, you know, Devonte Adams, Christian McCaffrey's points per game really skewed that data a little bit. So what right. I did was I took the top three in each position and looked at the average and then looked at the gap between those top three players and the 20th player at their position. So the gap for running backs was um, 12.7 points. So if you take the, you know, three uh, top running backs and then the yeah. drop down to RB20, which is Mike Davis, you're looking at almost a 13 point gap there. That same gap for wide receivers, which funny enough, the wide receiver 20 was Deontay Johnson, but that gap was just eight points. So it, you're looking at this huge fall off once you get mm -hmm. uh, into it. So I, I just, I feel like there's so much to be said about drafting those running backs early. So the only way that I'll really stray from taking a running back early is if you can get one of those big tight ends, you know, if Kittle is still sitting there mid second, if, you know, Kelsey, or I'm sorry, if Kelsey's mid second, if Kittle and Waller are still there in the early third, then I'd stray away from it. But really what I'm doing is ranking my running backs and I'm just smashing the top running back available for the first three rounds when I draft. Yeah, there are worse ideas. I've done Great. it. I've, I've done it before. I had one season where I managed to win a championship, and I think my fourth best running back on the team was Chris Carson. And it was just because I drafted running back after running back after running back, and I got Aaron Jones super late, which was nice. Yeah, um, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. And, and and another big thing, and I, I forgot to even mention this, but last year five of the top ten wide receivers were drafted in the fifth round or later. So when you look mm -hmm. at it, Stephon Diggs, Calvin Ridley, DK Metcalf, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, all of those guys had an ADP outside of the fourth round wow. and finished as top 10 wide receivers. So there's those guys this year that are still going out there. Cortland Sutton, Robbie Anderson, LaVisca Chenault, Michael Pittman. These guys are guys that you can get late in your draft that really hold wide receiver one upside. Well, let's talk about one of those guys right now. Curtis Samuel doesn't yes. have wide receiver one upside. What is his outlook for 2021? Gentlemen, you have the floor. Sam, you start this one off. I know you're a huge <sighs> Curtis Samuel fan. Yeah, well, he's like the only player that I just, I feel like I don't have a jersey from Curtis Samuel yet. And I don't know why. Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, I just, if I had to like look back at all the tweets that I've tweeted about Curtis Samuel, I'm sure it's like something like 20%, some ridiculous number, 20% or something. But 
honestly, so just to preface, like Curtis Samuel from for the last 10 games is wide receiver 12. So that's a significant amount of time in the season. So do I think he has wide receiver one upside? Kind of. I don't think he has top five in his range of outcomes, but I do think that if it hits right, Curtis Samuel can be like a back-end wide receiver one. But I think, you know, realistically, he's a, he could easily hit wide receiver two numbers. I mean, he was this year. He finished that, I think, wide receiver 22. And I just, I think the real question is, that's kind of like floating around is like, was this last year Curtis Samuel ceiling? And I absolutely don't do not think so. And here's why. So his first two seasons, he suffered through injuries for the first season. And also, to actually backtrack even more, Curtis Samuel was never truly a wide receiver in college. So he's been transitioning, trying to be a full-time wide receiver through, through the NFL. So injuries first year, also injuries the second year. They drafted DJ Moore, so they had similar experience. The third year, he had half of Cam Newton and Kyle Allen throwing to him. He had like a 50% catch rate at that point. It was just horrible. He was like Darnell Mooney, right? You just see overthrows left and right. So Curtis Samuel's like, man, if you just give him the ball, he's gonna he's gonna make it happen. And then you get this last year, and what do they do? They go sign Robbie Anderson. And it's like, dude, you were just setting up Curtis Samuel to to fail, honestly. But guess what? He didn't. He actually produced for the last 10 weeks and was a back-end wide receiver one. So I just don't see why him going to Washington with I think arguably the best quarterback he's he will have throwing to him in a situation that is he's only really competing with targets with uh, Terry McLaurin and Logan Thomas. You know, I I could easily JD see JD uh, McKissick. I don't know. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't throw to running back. Or tight so. ends. Right. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He doesn't. And I think, I think he will throw, I think, I think JD McKissick will be less involved. this Right. Year and I think JD McKissick year. was mostly just a product of the lack of, you know, targets they had. They were throwing to Cam Sims and Steven Sims. And I don't even remember who else was there. Some other people, I guess, that we don't remember. But, uh, you know, last last year, wide receiver 13 on the year was Robert Woods. He put up 950 yards, eight touchdowns with like 200 or 150 yards rushing and two touchdowns. What's to say Curtis Samuel can't do that this year? I'm not saying that's actually what you know, wide receiver 13, but I think that's pretty easily that pretty easily could happen for Curtis Samuel. So I'm going to stop talking. I could talk all day about Curtis Samuel, Dave, let's see what you have. Yeah, man. I, I love Curtis Samuel too. And I think that he is going to continue the production that we saw last year. I'm not quite as high uh, as you are on him, Sam. I've got him sitting sure. at wide receiver 18 right now. Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest thing that Curtis Samuel does is just shoot an arrow right through Terry McLaurin's knee and I hate to say it because I love Terry McLaurin I'm a huge Terry McLaurin fan and when Ryan Fitzpatrick signed with Washington I was screaming from the rooftop that Terry McLaurin was going to be a top three wide receiver and then they just went out and grabbed one of my absolute favorite wide receivers in Curtis Samuel so you already talked about it injuries have really screwed up the beginning of Curtis Samuel's career but he still totaled over 200 targets in a very crowded offense with you know uh Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson last year, DJ Moore the last two years, he still commanded 200 total targets. So Terry McLaurin was an absolute beast last year. He saw 134 targets. Every other wide receiver on the Washington team combined for 162 targets. So Terry (laughs) McLaurin himself was almost outproducing the entire team. Uh, He was number one in air yard share. He was number one in target share. And now Curtis Samuel is going to come in. 
and he is a great separator. He's going to get open, and he's going to command targets and really, really throw a wrench in Terry McLaurin's value. The one thing that really jumped out to me, though, from the 2020 season is uh, Curtis Samuel. You know, he gets labeled as this gadgety player, but last year he was getting downfield and making plays and still finished second in catch rate in the entire NFL. So yeah. if he's able to develop that early rapport with Ryan Fitzpatrick and earn his trust, Curtis Samuel could easily finish as a low-end wide receiver one. Right. And some people get weary about, you know, wide receivers changing teams. But the thing is, is he's going to a team with his previous coach and offensive coordinator, if I'm correct. So Mm -hmm. he knows the system, you know, and I watched the video where he was just like, you know, like there's going to be a few wrinkles that I'll have to learn. But for the most part, I I know their system. So I don't think he's going to have to do much learning. So he's just going to hop right in and and go. And uh, yeah, I, I just and. I would like to preface too. I don't think he's actually going to be a wide receiver one. I definitely think it's, you know, it's more likely that Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel finish in like the, you know, 12 to 20 range together than like any of those two hitting wide receiver one numbers. You know, Agreed. I just think they're both going to be wide receiver twos. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. I think Terry's going to be flirting with wide receiver 10. Uh, I think bringing in Samuel actually forces teams to be a little more honest yep. about the wide receivers. I think Fitzpatrick's style is going to cater a little more towards Terry than it will to Samuel. I think there's one really interesting thing to bring up with Samuel. Uh, In 2019, his target quality rating was 101st in the league. His catchable target rate was 105th in the league. His catch rate was 101st in the league. And you go to 2020, we're talking about an upgrade in quarterback, I guess, it turned out, because his target quality r- rating, like, it doubled. He's now 54th in the league instead of 100 right. and change. His catchable target rate was 8th yeah. in the league. That's and nice. I worry yeah. about Ryan Fitzpatrick's ability to replicate those numbers based on what I saw in Miami sure. last year. Granted, he could still not replicate that and then still be significantly better than Cam Newton was and Kyle Allen were in 2019. And it'll still totally work out for Curtis Samuel. It's just like, it's the one thing I'm still evaluating where it's just like, what is this more indicative of? Is it more indicative of how Carolina's system worked last year, how the quality improved at quarterback, Mm -hmm. or is it, we finally got Curtis Samuel firing on all cylinders and he added to that increase in quality of target because again his target quality increased but he was still like in the 50s but then his like catch rate is like top 10 so to me that does indicate that the player is involved at least to some degree like that can't all be it just literally can't like there's no way the logic makes sense where that's all the quarterback all the system like that has to be some of the Mm -hmm. talent what about dynasty where are you guys ranking him there where do you guys think like who are you trading to get a curtis samuel dave want to start with you you know i'm somebody who my my process in dynasty is i really don't make changes based off of transactions unless it's a really long-term deal so i i try to really base my dynasty rankings off of talent because so many things can change year to year quarterbacks can get shuffled around so so this move for me doesn't really change him at all. I had him in the um, uh, low twenties before the move, and and it's it's really tough for me to see this move. I mean, 
if, if he moved to Aaron Rodgers, like if he signed a five-year deal to go to Green Bay and was going to be locked in with Aaron Rodgers for the next year, sure, I'd move him up a couple spots then. But right. I don't think that the move from Carolina to Washington really does too much for his long-term value. And I think that he's still young enough that he'll still get, you know, another decent contract for another team at some point in his career. That's all fair. Right. Sam, what about you? Yeah, I mean, his contract's going to be up and he'll be 27. You know, like that's younger than Devonte Adams or DeAndre Hopkins or similar age at least. Uh, but I agree though, you know, it, it doesn't really, it hasn't really changed for me as well. Cause I'd like to just try as much as I can push out the situation, even though it absolutely does matter, at least in the current moment, you know, situation matters for a player, but definitely talent. And I, I, I don't really, I don't know. I haven't done much rankings. So I, it's hard for me to conceptualize where I would put him, but you know, I've liked him for a long time and he's going into his prime years. He just signed a three-year contract. Like, I think if there's a time to buy him, it's find someone who doesn't like him and thinks last year was his ceiling and take it from him. You know, like it's easy money right there. He's a, he's someone that you can draft as a wide receiver four, wide receiver three right now, you know, at the highest. And you're, you could easily get wide receiver two numbers out of him. So yeah. Love Curtis Samuel. Okay. I, I'm I'm reactive to a fault when it comes to my redraft rankings. Like, right? I, I can like you know I'll be watching a Instagram video and I see somebody like bump his foot on a chair and I'm like, all right, time to drop him. You know, his, his season's over. Get out of I'm here. I'm so reactive when it comes to redraft, but I try to be very, you know, level headed and and keep my dynasty rankings, you know, pr- pretty intact during the off season. Right. So for redraft, has Rojo stopped falling yet, or is he still going down? <laughs> I mean, he is just all season been up and down. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I was just on a pod with uh, Jeremy Layton a couple days ago, and we were talking about the the Tampa Bay backfield. I just said, man, I, I can't play this game anymore. I cannot play the Bruce Arians backfield game. In 2019, I was convinced that it was going to be Ronald Jones. I was telling everyone to get Ronald Jones. I had Ronald Jones on all my teams, and it was Peyton Barber. And then last yep. year, I'm like, all right, you know, they've got Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette's going to be the guy. You can find it. I've got plenty of Leonard Fournette RB1 receipts from last offseason, and it was Ronald Jones. So if we're following this trend, you know, I'm going to ha- hop on the Rojo train this season, and it's going to be Keyshawn Vaughn finishing it as an RB1. <laughs> How crazy would that be? Keyshawn Vaughn ends up being the RB1. <laughs> so here's the thing with that. Bruce Arians has specifically said to expect a breakout year from Keyshawn Vaughn. So we should all be surprised if Keyshawn Vaughn's still on the roster. (laughs) I can't can't hear it. I've played this game too long. Bruce Arians has just screwed me my entire career. I have to say, in my time as a fantasy analyst, fantasy writer, et cetera, et cetera, there has been one take I have been consistent with my entire time. There are receipts out there. You can find them. And that is that Bruce Arians is a dirty, filthy liar. I've said it (laughs) once. I've said it again. The man will never hire me for anything. I don't (laughs) care. He's a dirty, filthy liar. And you should never trust a word he says. And if you don't trust him, you will be better off for it. Just And and the thing, I guarantee it. In 2016, he tricked us too. It was like, holy cow, like Bruce Arians is going to find a running back, which was David Johnson that year. And we were like, and this is what, He's going to do. He's going to revolve an entire offense around a running back. He's going to throw to him. He's going to hand the ball off to him. And everyone said, like, Bruce Arians is a fantasy football running back god. And then the very next year, he just pulled the rug out from under us and has just been playing mind games ever since. I don't know that it's literally happened ever again. Like, he is a dirty, filthy 
liar. Every year, 2017, 18, 19, and 20, all he has done. Like, I, I purposely think that he tries to, like, I, I think that he hates fantasy football. And that's yeah. his thing. Like, in his mind, he's like, you know, I'm going to start Ronald Jones this week. But then he just gets on a podium and says, oh, yeah, Leonard Fournette's our guy. And then just goes and laughs to himself backstage. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Bruce Arians probably just really sucked at fantasy football for a while and just got really <laughs> mad. And so now he just has this, like, grudge against it, you know? So. Uh, well, we'll keep it on wow. risers and fallers. So for redraft, Dave, who's your biggest redraft wide receiver riser and your biggest redraft wide receiver faller? Uh, the biggest riser for me, and this is going to be a lukewarm take that you've heard a million people say already, but why not just hit it on the show? AJ Brown is on a team that has so many vacated targets with Johnu Smith being gone, with Corey Davis being gone. AJ Brown is going to feast. We might see him see 200 plus targets this year. I mean, it is going to be absolutely bonkers for AJ Brown in Tennessee. The way this offseason is shaken out, I don't think there's anybody that has seen a more meteoric rise than AJ Brown has. Have have they named an offensive coordinator yet? I'm genuinely asking. Yeah, AJ Brown, he's calling the plays too. He's doing everything in Tennessee. <laughs> that's that's my only concern with AJ Brown. He's talented enough. He's got a rapport with the quarterback. There's tons of vacated targets. If you draft him to be a wide receiver one, honestly the chances are you're probably going to be fine. I just think like I am I am a little concerned about who's calling the plays. I just like, literally don't know one. who's calling the plays. Yeah. yeah. Neither do I. But he, you know, cream he's rises so to the top. And that dude he's is so good. He's so I, good. Yeah, again, not disagreeing with literally <laughs> any of that. AJ Brown um, to the moon. <laughs> so faller though. Who's your biggest after these free agent moves? Who's your biggest faller in the wide receiver uh, space? I mean, we already talked about it, but Terry McLaurin. Um, I, I feel really? like, you know, okay. a lot of people, um, and, and not falling necessarily from his production last season, but falling from the Ryan Fitzpatrick signing hype to where he's at right now with Curtis Samuel joining that wide receiver core. I think that he falls off quite a bit. Okay. I, I would say that's fair, putting it in a much more recent context. Cause I would say if you took over, oh. Um, for you audio <laughs> listeners, sorry, that was a that was a visual only moment there. <laughs> the lateral pot just breaking, Malcolm. Oh just man! So uh, for context, the Titans' offensive coordinator was the guy from Oakland who split targets between Crabtree and Amari, and it was the one year where we hated <laughs> everything. So, luckily, there's no one to split targets with, so we'll be yeah. fine. Um, Josh back- Reynolds, come on. <laughs> um back back Sorry. to what back to what i was saying though uh i would say mclaurin overall in free agency has trended up because he's actually got a quarterback potentially now um but yes i would say with the addition of curtis samuel there is certainly an argument to be made and i think you've made it very eloquently that his stock should fall so on on the show sheet i didn't know we were talking strictly wide receivers when you said biggest follower what i wrote was johnny smith so okay. I'm shooting from the hip with Terry McLaurin. Yeah, here, no, speaking of here. that, speaking of that. John, John U. Smith is the biggest faller. So right after I'm sitting here hyping up A.J. Brown for being the one guy, John U. Smith, I think that he is just looking at a terrible situation in New England. And everyone has him pegged as this, like, like you know, working his way up into that Travis Kelsey tier. And I just do not see it at all. First of all, uh, Hunter Henry is obviously there. And I think Hunter Henry is the better pass catcher out of the two of them. A lot of people love to pull up this quote from Bill Belichick from a few years ago where it was Bill Belichick gushing over Johnny Smith. 
But you know what he said before talking about his pass catching ability and before talking about his running ability? He talked about his ability as a run blocker. So mm-hmm. they've already committed to Cam Newton to come back. They've yep. spent the draft stock on Sony Michelle. They've got Damian Harris now. I'm not saying Sony Michelle is good. I'm just using that as an no. argument that the Patriots want to be committed to the run. So I think that this is going to be a very run-heavy team, and I think that you're going to see Janu running out there as the lead blocker a lot. Last year, Cam Newton threw a total of eight touches. Are we really expecting that number to go up that much? So you've got three new wide receivers that they brought in. You've got two new tight ends that they brought in. I think that it's going to be a very run-heavy approach, and I don't think that that offense is going to be able to support multiple fantasy options as pass catchers. So I'm, I'm completely off on Janu. Everybody hyping him up as a tight end one. Go ahead, draft him. I will. I, I'm not even going to be thinking about taking him in a single league. Yeah, I totally agree. I actually wrote about him for the lateral in our free agent losers column, and it, the data is just not there. The Patriots, like their market share to tight ends, has only been going down. They basically have had two instances. It was the one Hernandez and Gronk year, and then like uh, the Martellus Bennett year. Actually, when both him and Gronk were healthy, they hit around the 30% target share. But Aguilar's come in like they're clearly focusing on wide receiver. Like there's so much to go around. And I would agree with you that I not only think Henry's the better pass catcher, I think Johnny's the better blocker. It makes sense. And their contracts aren't so vastly different that they're going to be incentivized by the money to use one in a particularly way compared to the other. Like they have brought in to do whatever Belichick's purpose is for them. And I don't think it actually results in either of them being a tight end one. Yep. Full stop. <laughs> Sam, biggest, uh, just in general, redraft riser and biggest faller will throw away that wide receiver right. tag. It's funny because I also interpreted this in a different way where I was like, you know, I read it as like, oh, who's risen the most from consensus? You know, I was like, oh, Cam Akers or Terry McLaurin. But if I had to pick a ride, like someone that has been rising at my board, I think I kind of said it earlier, man. I just, I'm all in on Zeke again this year. Like just give me Zeke every time. Uh, I think an obvious faller would be Deshaun Watson. Uh, Obviously with that, you know, I think it's interesting to at least talk about whether we actually think he's going to play this year. You know, there's still a lot of information to come out on Deshaun Watson. So it's hard to, it's hard to make any snap judgment judgments about that. But uh, um, someone that I, I think has been falling that I, I, I would be higher on is Michael Thomas. You know, I think his ADP is way too low right now. It's just weird. Like we're, we're definitely overcorrecting for a season that was riddled by injuries, some, you know, questionable quarterback play, but you know, be, you know, between Drew Brees being in his last year and Taysom Hill, I know Taysom Hill actually like technically was pretty good based on completion percentage, but I just think like overall, it wasn't a great situation for Michael Thomas to truly succeed. So I think, that's someone that I'm rising up my board probably the most, you know, I'm so, I still think he can be like a third round, a solid third round pick. Okay. And then uh, for dynasty, I know Dave, you said that you base your rankings a lot around talent. So free agency maybe didn't change things that much, but is there anyone that since free agency is come and gone for the most part that is rising or falling on your board when it comes to dynasty who Uh, Aaron Jones and Chris Carson. And I know that sounds weird to say but they were two guys that were going to be free agents and there were going to be a lot of question marks you know if Aaron Jones went to Miami if Chris Carson went to Buffalo sure those could have been good opportunities for him but I I I didn't know where they were going to go so I slid them down my rankings a little bit just because of the 
questions that were surrounding them. But now with Aaron Jones going back to the Packers, Chris Carson going back to Seattle, these guys have proven success in an offense that works for them. Uh, I mean, Aaron Jones just is going to almost be a lock for a top five running back again this year. Chris Carson, you know, a lot of people have questions about Rashad Penny and they have questions about his fumbling and injuries and whatever it may be. And those are real concerns to have. But at the end of the day, he is the best running back on that team by a landslide. And I'm hoping that, you know, we've seen somewhat of a timeshare, whether it's Rashad Penny, Carlos Hyde, whoever it may be. He's always seems to be splitting touches with somebody. But now that he's got the paycheck, I'm hoping that they commit to him a little bit more. Uh, you know, he's he, he's done nothing but earn that role as the starting running back in, in uh, Seattle. So those are the two guys that immediately once they signed their contracts, they shot up my dynasty rankings. Yep. I mean, I definitely agree, especially with Carson. I think Seattle was the best landing spot for him. 100%. Uh, anywhere he was going to go, he was going to be used in a committee. Unless there was like the Atlanta rumors where like maybe he could be used as a bell cow. But I think because Atlanta maybe wants a bell cow is precisely why they didn't go for Chris Carson. Um, I think Miami would have been interesting for Jones, but it's tough to argue with green Bay where he's gotten results year after year. Sam, what about you? Biggest dynasty risers and fallers in this post free agency world we live in. Yeah. Uh, man, I feel like Deontay Johnson, and I know we already kind of talked about him, but he's someone that I feel like keeps just rising at my board. The more I look into him just because, those targets, man, are just hard to come by. And he's someone that obviously was earning targets, even with Juju and Chase Claypool around. I know they re-signed Juju, but I feel like, you know, it doesn't matter to me because I think Juju still will be gone next year. And that's just going to leave Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson to absolutely feast. And who knows who ends up being the quarterback, but I don't think it really matters. He's just a really talented player, like you said. I just, you know, I want to chase that talent. You know, it's just someone that I wasn't super... Uh, I guess aware of because of his draft capital. And I just kind of didn't really look into him until like later in the season and this off season. So he's someone that's been rising at my boards a lot. And I guess a big follower, which kind of goes along the Aaron Jones line is uh, AJ Dillon. Uh, mm-hmm. I do think it's an inch. It's funny. Cause I actually wrote an article about why I thought Aaron Jones was going to be too high, but I think this was probably best case scenario for Aaron Jones was to resign with the Packers. However, I do think there might be some overcorrections and that I do think AJ Dillon is going to have a bigger role than people think. But I think Aaron Jones will over, like he'll be able to get more receiving work because Jamal Williams is gone. So I just, I I think AJ Dillon will take more, maybe touchdowns, early down work. And then Aaron Jones will just, you know, come in with some more third down work and receiving work. So AJ Dillon is is a follower though, for sure. Because that four-year contract is tough on AJ Dillon. So, Mm -hmm. and I know... I know uh, Dave has some feelings about AJ Dillon too. So, oh, I, I mean, I, I was ringing the bell for AJ Dillon being an yeah. RB one, and then as soon as Aaron, I got to stop making takes before free agency is my problem because I, <laughs> yeah. I, I will say in every article that I wrote, I did have a disclaimer in there saying that this is under the assumption that Aaron Jones that, resigned yeah. somewhere else. But I think the other big faller uh, for me is Jared Goff, and Sam, I'm <sighs> sure you can attest to this. Being in the NFC North, you've watched the Lions play for a long time. I don't know what it is about that franchise, but they are cursed. Horrible. Like they, yeah. it is just there, there's something fundamentally wrong with that franchise. And Jared Goff, uh, you know, he was with one of the best coaches in the league. He had Sean McVay. He had a good offensive line, good run game, loaded with pass catching weapons. That was all able to hide the inadequacies of Jared Goff. Now right. you put him on a team with a garbage defense, no offensive line. 
Quintez Cephas as his wide receiver one, a brand new coach. Just for now. Jer- for right. now, yeah. They'll assuredly go out and get somebody, but it's it's going to be a young team in a rebuilding scenario yeah. with a coach that we don't know a lot about on a franchise that literally raised a banner for a playoff appearance. It wasn't even a playoff win. They made the playoffs and they raised a banner in the Super. I mean, it's the, the team is that bad. So Jared Goff, I think that, you know, this is yeah. going to be the the twilight of his career we're going to see in Detroit. Uh, you know, I, I, I can respect that banner raise, though. It just makes me think of when the <laughs> Caps won the Stanley Cup and Root, they beat the Penguins. And it was just sure. like, I think it was the ringer put up this like joke post and it was just like, you know, banner. It's like division champs. And then like finally beat the penguins in a series. Like, <laughs> and yeah. I was like I can respect a banner like that. I really can. It was great. Yeah. They went on, won the cup that year. So like we, yeah. we got to like, just look back and laugh at it, but you know, the little victories matter. Uh, and sometimes you get a little victory with a sleeper. Who's your guy's sleeper pick for redraft running back wide receiver quarterback. I don't care. Just like, the guy who you're like, I know I can get this guy late, and I think he's going to be fucking awesome. Dave, I want to hear who it is from you. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. Right now, Ooh. he is getting drafted so late, and I just I, I love him. And it's one of those where everybody was hyped up with him last year, coming out as a rookie, you know, 6'3", fast, he can kind of do it all, and then failed to live up to lofty expectations, but he was injured. You know, he, he spent three weeks on injured reserve and not to mention he had a 39 year old noodle armed Philip Rivers throwing the ball to him. I think that Carson Wentz is a huge upgrade from Philip Rivers, especially behind an elite offensive line. And Michael Pittman, he's going to play his best when he's able to get down the field. So I think that having a bigger arm in Carson Wentz is going to help him out a lot. So he was kind of the, the, the people last year that everyone was projecting for this huge breakout and it didn't happen. So all of those people that were big on Pittman last year, they're going to fall off and they're going to start looking at all these shiny new toys coming out of the rookie draft this year. I'm going to give Pittman another chance because, you know, it, it's really tough to get up to NFL speed when you miss the beginning of the season as a rookie. And he showed some flashes down the stretch. So uh, Pittman right now is a guy that I can see uh, easily passing up a 31-year-old T.Y. Hilton to be the primary pass catcher in Indianapolis next year. Okay. Yeah. I like that one a lot. I think Paris Campbell is someone that another, uh, a lot of people think will be their sleeper. And mm-hmm. so I think that will open up Michael Pittman to a lot of other people. So Sam, you seem to be well, thinking Paris Campbell. Is there anyone else well, you're thinking of as well? Yeah. Well, Paris Campbell is actually was, was one of my sleepers for dynasty. I don't know. You know, I guess for, I would make sense for rejaps as well, but I just still like Paris Campbell as a player. And I think he like kind of was showing out, a lot this year but for redraft this year i think it's pretty easy and i think you know sleeper is kind of a broad term these days because there's not really a a true sleeper you know back in the day but brandon cooks man every year he's just freaking good like he's just good every year and he always is underdrafted Maybe not always, but he is lately, you no, know. He, always no, is. he is always underdrafted. Yeah, that's true. Always. He's probably always underdrafted. And so, like, I don't know, when you're in the you know, seventh round and Brandon Cooks is still there, just grab him. Just do it. Do it and get over with. Don't overthink it. Brandon Cooks. Yeah, okay. I couldn't agree more. Keep it um, simple. <laughs> all right. We're gonna do a little bit of way too early projection projections, and then we'll bring our what is now over an hour and a half-ish to a close. Yeah. Dave. Who is your way too early QB one wide receiver one RB one 
tight end one, and then Sam, I'm gonna go to you. Um, I, I mean, I'm not gonna do anything shocking here. For me, it's Mahomes, McCaffrey, Adams, Kelsey. I feel like if I was trying to say anything besides those three, Just taking the chalk, baby. Yeah, I, I, think- I mean. I think weirdly Mahomes is the spiciest take just because I don't think we've actually ever seen him quite hit QB one, whereas the other ones we've seen oh, yeah. produce those numbers. I like earlier had a earlier in the off season, I had a take, Oh, it was for a dynasty ranking show that we did. And I'm just like, his team is so good that it actually brings down his production ceiling mm-hmm. just a little. It's nothing to do with him. If you could just right. let him rip, he'd probably be QB one. But that team just doesn't need to let him. He doesn't rip need to, yeah. right? If, if, yeah. If you, if you want a little spice, I can give you my QB two. Yeah, I'm, let's hear it. Lamar Jackson at QB two. I'm still on for it, man. The guy's got back to back thousand yard rushing seasons. Nobody else in NFL history has done that before. That alone is just giving him one of the safest floors in the league. We saw it in the second half of the year. He was just a much better runner in the second half of the year first half of the year they tried to keep him in the pocket it translated terrible fantasy production second half of the year he was up there with josh allen on a per game basis so i am 100 back in on lamar jackson and there's a good chance i have 100 exposure on him in redraft leagues next year <laughs> i love it i'll genuinely i love to hear that sam what about you who is your way too early qb1 wide receiver one rb1 and tight end one uh, my QB one, Dak Prescott, RB one, Saquon, wide receiver, Devonte Adams, tight end one, George Kittle. I'm gonna go with George Kittle because here's the thing: I could pick Travis Kelsey, but he's gotta get dethroned at some point. It's gotta happen. It's no, gonna it happen at some it's point, unless he's just gonna keep putting up tight end one numbers for the next six years. You know, so I think if anyone can do it, it's either gonna be Darren Waller or George Kittle. George Kittle is still just – he is just an absolute animal. And, I, you know, he got hurt a bunch this past year, so I love him. Um, I will say, though, A.J. Brown is someone that I'm flirting with putting it, you know, as a sleeper for wide receiver one because I'm all, I'm all in with you, Dave. I think it's a – he's so he, good. He, he's my he's my dynasty wide receiver one. But yeah. I think if, if you're going redraft – It's hard and, to, yeah. yeah. right right now, the big thing with Devontae Adams that blew my mind, he's been top three in targets – or I'm sorry, top two in targets for three consecutive years. Right. And he's tied to, you know, arguably the best quarterback of our generation. No disrespect to Tom Brady out there, but Aaron Rodgers does things that Tom Brady could never, ever do in his wildest dreams. So I, I think that anybody that's putting anybody besides Devontae Adams as a wide receiver one is looking for clicks. Well, and um, plus, like, they're not going to bring in another wide receiver. We all right. know they're not going to bring one in. And even if they did, sad. if they Curtis Samuel, Devontae Adams would still would be change my their mind. Yeah. Have you seen any other team that does what the Packers do? They'll get first and goal at the one, and they'll target Devontae Adams four times in a row. Like it's yeah. in a fade route in the end zone. Yeah, <laughs> I am like, convinced that Aaron Rodgers had Devontae Adams on every one of his fantasy teams last year. Dude, it feels like they're like playing backyard football, and you just got the one player, and you got the best player on the field mm-hmm. on your team, and you're like, I'm just gonna throw it up to him. Yeah, they're probably going to catch it. We're going to get a <laughs> touchdown, you know. It's going to happen. If your other option was Equimineus St. Brown, yes. would you blame me for throwing it to Devontae no. Adams no matter what? Like, um, I will say one thing. It's The reason why I, I, I'm always skeptical of, like, repeating uh, wide receiver one numbers, because I think I mean, Devontae was wide receiver one last year, right? Even though he played 13 games or whatever it was. Last year that we had, he was wide receiver one, yes. Right. Before, and it's just like I don't think he was because of injuries. Yeah. And you don't, the thing is you don't see players repeat 
very often. I mean, like, I think Antonio Brown Kelsey. did it. Except for Travis Kelsey. But Antonio Brown did it a few years ago. But that's about it's it. Tough. But, it's but if there's a player to do it, I would pick De- Devontae Adams this year just because their connection is absolutely insane. The volume is just going to be there. And I, I just, it's a, it's a smash for sure. Yeah, I think I think the other smash is you touched on it, QB1 Dak Prescott for me. Oh, if he's healthy so week one, I'm so sold. That defense yeah. is not good. Not I good. love that they might add Patrick Sertan. I think that'd be a great pickup. That defense will still be not good. Mike McCarthy yeah. will still not be a good head coach. And Dak Prescott's going to have to put that team on his back. And unlike my favorite put the team on the back syndrome quarterback of all time, noodle arm Philip Rivers, back when he wasn't the noodle arm, back when he was in San Diego and it's like, nobody can win this game but me. Here's the thing. Dak Prescott can actually win a game for you. He's got the yeah. athletic tools. So I just I love to see it. So I thousand percent on board with that. All right. We're going to cut through some of this and get to my guys and stay aways. We're going to end this with that. And then we'll get into the plugs. Dave, who is the one guy you are going to make sure you leave a draft with for redraft and who's one guy you're going to avoid at all costs. Well, I wrote down a few here because we were getting down to the end of the show and I wanted to make sure I wasn't talking about somebody we've already talked about a bunch. One guy we haven't mentioned is Cortland Sutton. And I am trying to leave every single draft with Cortland Sutton. This dude has all of the makings to be, uh, I I hate throwing the term alpha receiver around there because I feel like it gets used way too often, but this man is six foot four. He, I I mean, the, the recency bias in fantasy football is insane. We saw this guy in 2019, absolutely dominant with, who was it? Uh, Drew Locke, Joe Flacco, and was it Brandon Allen, I think was the, Checks yeah. out. whoever it was, it was terrible. And Jeff this guy Driscoll. was still, some, yeah, I can't even remember, but you know, he put up over 1100 yards, had six or seven touchdowns. And I mean, he just looked like that one of those premier receivers in the league. And I think that he has all of the makings to be the next, you know, Allen Robinson, one of those types of players. So um, everybody right now is forgetting about him. His draft stock now is way lower than it was heading into 2020. So I'm taking advantage of that market inadequacy and getting as much Cortland Sutton as I can. I think that's an excellent pick. Um, Who are you making sure you avoid though? Uh, Deshaun Watson. (laughs) No, really though. I'm at this point. I mean, I I was in best ball drafts earlier and was taken in, but it looks like he's not going to be playing. So I'm avoiding Deshaun Watson, but really I couldn't think of a specific player because I don't hate players. I do hate some ADPs, you know, I'll take anybody at the right cost, but something that I am avoiding just as a whole this year are any of those mid tier tight ends. So TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, Mark mm-hmm. Andrews, I don't want anything to do with those guys. If I'm unable to get Kelsey, Kittle, or Waller, I'm just waiting until like the last three rounds and I'm going to take three tight ends and hope one of them pops off. Because really, once you get down past that big three, last year it was absolutely insane how close like wide receiver four and wide receiver 24 were just a few points per game off from each other. And really what it comes down to is who's going to score the most touchdowns at the end of the year, which none of us can predict. So I'm not wasting a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick on somebody who's going to be, you know, maybe one point per game better than somebody that I'm drafting in the 18th round. So as a whole, I'm just avoiding those mid-tier tight ends. Yeah, uh, you're not the first guest we've actually had to say that. Jeff Crisco came on a while back and he's just like staying away from the middle class tight end. It's not a real thing. Like once you get out of that top three, it's like, well, 
just pump. why not get out of the top eight why not get out of the top 12 like why not take blake jarwin with a dirt cheap pick you know thank see you what happens. blake jarwin that's like exactly the guy that i'm targeting late in these rounds too exactly. gerald yeah. everett is kind of interesting late another one yeah yep i would but i would totally agree the gap yeah. between wide receiver three and wide receiver four so that that where that fall off is that same gap if you go down to wide receiver 20 or I'm sorry, tight end 20. Yeah, I was like, the same saying. amount. Yeah, yeah. I, I meant tight ends, but the fall yeah. off there, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable once you get past that right. big three. What about you, Sam? Who is the person you're making sure you leave the draft with and who's the person that you are just saying, no, thank you? So I've been banging the Jalen Hurts drum for, since he was drafted, actually. And so Jalen Hurts is absolutely somebody I really want to leave my draft with. However, his ADP is rising a lot, and so and I'm a little sad about it because I was like, man, I'm going to take Jalen Hurts in every single league next year because, you know, it's just he doesn't have the draft capital that you'd want. You know, we know that second-round quarterbacks don't uh, don't always hit. But I just think, you know, Jalen Hurts was kind of underdrafted in the NFL draft. He kind of got the Lamar Jackson treatment because he was fantastic in college, and we know he has the rushing upside to give you the QB one, honestly, if he plays the whole year, I just, I wouldn't be surprised if he manages to, manages to do something like that just because he is rushing upside. Now, I definitely think it's unlikely. I'm not trying to, you know, say he's going to be QB one, but Jalen Hurts is absolutely someone I'm trying to leave with. I think he's a lot better than people say. No, he is not worse than Taysom Hill. I remember arguing about <laughs> that with people on Twitter. Whew, just gets my blood boiling thinking about it right now. But uh, someone that I think I'm avoiding is DeAndre Swift, and I'm with you, Dave, that I just, I don't necessarily hate players. Again, I listen to the pod father a bunch that he always says it. I hate play. I don't hate players. I hate ADPs. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's just kind of true because we want players to succeed. Right. And there's obviously all these players are very talented. They're in the NFL, you know, which is extremely hard to do in the first place. So, but DeAndre Swift is someone I am kind of out on and, you know, I like the talent and I think in dynasty, I definitely want DeAndre Swift. But as far as, you know, 2021 goes, we talked about earlier, the Detroit Lions are not going to be good. He might have the volume, but we've seen players in the past that have been elite that have fallen off like the next season because their team was just so bad. Todd Gurley and Saquon Barkley both had seasons that we expected them. They were drafted super high and just didn't return ADP. And I think DeAndre Swift will be someone like that this year. Yeah, I think that I think DeAndre Swift is an interesting one. I would say a counterpoint right. to that could potentially be James Robinson was on about as bad team as you could get last year and was a you know yep. RB one candidate, oh, right? Um, and then on top of that, uh, with Todd Gurley and Saquon in those years, though, when they didn't they have some injury issues? It was just the Todd Gurley didn't. Touch. He finishes okay. the RB eighteen, I think, and okay. I think maybe Saquon did. Okay, I just I just remember like. That year, I was that was the like one of my first shows I ever did. I was like, I know nobody wants to admit it, but you know, Saquon Barkley's gonna be bad or not necessarily bad, but he's not gonna live up to RB1, you know, RB1 hype just because the Giants were so bad that year, you know. So but the Jalen Hurts thing is something I really want to touch on because I yeah, think sure. his ADP is getting a little steep, it I is have getting a little high. Concerns about that, and so I am actually, I've been thinking like, we always have that second year breakout QB. I've been yeah. thinking about who it's going to be because typically with that second year breakout QB, the ADP is also lower. Like people always talk about like, I got Lamar so late. I got Pat so late. And I think next year it's going to be Joe Burrow. 
I like mm-hmm. that. I think next year I th- I've like thought about and thought about because like I mean yeah. I think the best thing that also happened for that is people are hyped on Justin Herbert. I don't think the gap yeah. between Burrow and Herbert is big at all. And mm-hmm. I think if Joe Burrow comes back healthy, if they can protect him a little more on that line, he's got the tools already. He was looking like a QB one candidate mm-hmm. last year when he was healthy anyway. I mean, throw the ball 60 times a game, you're bound to hit some. Yeah. Um, I, I think Joe Burrow could be that breakout guy. So he's someone that's like, if I can get him in round 10 or later. Like, if he does, not? if they don't take Sewell. Then I'm more concerned. First, so, then I'm first more all concerned. by the Bengals, but also, you know, that then I would be concerned. But if they do take Sewell, I'm absolutely with you, man. He was QB nine for the two, you know, until he got injured, which yeah. is top 10 and very impressive as a rookie, you know? Yeah. So, okay. Well, thank you guys so yeah. much for joining us. It has been a blast. We have crushed the hour-ish. We have crushed the hour and a half-ish. We crushed the hour 45-ish, one of our longer <laughs> episodes. But that's what happens when you get such high-quality guests. You have mm-hmm. to let the content play out as it does. And speaking of that content, Sam, why don't you plug what you got coming up? Honestly, I'm not doing a ton right now other than uh, working on the FPO podcast. It's just a game show. We are having guests on weekly right now, and we're hopefully going to start getting to multiple guests going on YouTube, getting some video out, doing some live streams. Um, right now we're only doing a podcast uh, form of it and it's out pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts. So we're just working. I'm just working on that right now. I might be writing a few articles here and there. Obviously I just talked about the one that I wrote recently about running backs. So, but that's pretty much all I got. I'm on Twitter spending way too much time on Twitter, probably uh, at Sam Daryl BFF. So yeah, come hang and interact with me and uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Dude, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Dave, it has genuinely been a pleasure to have you on as well. Thank you so much for coming on this show. I think it's been great to have someone with your background working for a site like Fantasy Pros, you know, coming on here, giving really good advice. You know, that Mike Tagliere story, I really enjoyed that. What's some of the content you got coming out the pipeline? We've teased some of it throughout the episode, but bring it on back. Let the audience know what you got coming. All right, so I got an article coming out tomorrow morning for Football Guys, and then tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern, we've got Eric Moody coming on our Friday Ooh, show, uh, which nice. I've got every Friday coming on. That's a really fun one. The following week will be a good one as well. We've got Denny Carter and Cooter Doodle coming on for what should be one of the more fun shows that we've That's had. That's going to be Friday amazing. Afternoon. I will yeah. definitely be watching that. <laughs> Very excited for that one. But but really, you know, I'm I'm – trying to guest on as many pods as I can. I write for a bunch of different publications. So if you want to see what I got going on, the best thing to do is just follow me on Twitter at Dave Kluge underscore FF. That's D-A-V-E-K-L-U-G-E underscore FF. And you'll be able to see everything that I've got going on right there. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. As always, I'm McLateral. I've been your host this evening. Um, you can find my stuff over at the lateral. You can catch us on the lateral for the written content. You can catch us on YouTube. You can catch us on Spotify. Um, we've actually got some great stuff coming on this show alone next week. We got Laquan Jones. We got LQ and Scott nice. Barrett coming on. It's going to be a blast. Uh, and then on April 29th, instead of the weekly variety hour ish, we are going to have the lateral mega hour ish draft special the entire lateral crew will be here for the entire draft we are going to go through pick by pick round by round except there's only one round so you know still correct um 
but you'll get the latest takes from us. You'll get the most sideways things. You'll have me freaking out about who the Niners draft as their quarterback in the future, which is going to be great because that happens real early on. And I'm yeah. not going to shut up about it for the rest of the show. So stay tuned for that. Um, and then I have my draft series that I put out the abstract for the part one, the hypothesis the other day, I'm going to be knocking out part two of that, which is the first six rounds of the draft. That's going to come out probably early next week. It'll get finished up over this weekend. And then for the rest of the stuff we got going out, I, you know, I always forget this stuff. Luckily, I think I have someone that'd be able to help me out. And welcome to the lateral weekly variety. Did I miss it again? Dude, yeah. this is how many weeks in a row? I swear. Well, we had we, we had an important guest this week too. I mean, like Sam, you know, whatever. But like Dave's here. I've been, exactly. Oh, how, did, dude? We gotta get the signals uncrossed because I show up late to every single show. How do I keep missing that? Oh, it's God, your well. Streamyard account. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Oh God. Oh Jesus. Better late than never. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know. Oh God. Well, um, in terms of other things that we have going on, uh, you can find me at Herms NFL on Twitter. Don't find me anywhere else. I don't want you to find me anywhere else. I do a show called Show With No Name because we are not very creative with my buddy Jesse at BGF Sports. And uh, yeah, dude, it's going to be cool. Coming up on Sunday, we will have Victoria from the Ball Blast crew. We'll have Mike, Daddy's Home FF, doing all that stuff. We're going to be calling our shots, looking at like early redraft. Words are hard. Early redraft sleepers. It's going to be really cool because like we've been going through doing like the early ADP stuff. And we were like, well, you know, what? we're almost at the end of this. Instead of getting too deep into it, why don't we just, you know, do the whole Babe Ruth thing, man? Just call our shots, do it, whatever. And uh, yeah, that's going to be super fun. Uh, We have some other really fun guests coming up. And uh, well, we're. We're going to be announcing some of that stuff here pretty soon. Actually, we will be announcing a full list of the upcoming guests that we have coming on The Lateral as soon as this show ends. If you follow us on Twitter, at The Lateral, I mean, just check it out. You know, I mean, hey, how's that for a teaser? Man, see, man, that's why they pay me the big bucks. Your boy Herms, The Lateral, what's up? Hey. Hey, None of us make any money. This is like a complete drain. He makes a great point. Well, Dave makes money, but... If I, right, tell them, right. I don't pay money, money and they will believe that I'm a professional. We have to create yeah. the illusion. If we say we make money now, it'll make us make money. Good. Anyway, also just like make, thanks make for tuning in. Exactly. Yeah, you know, this is what we do, as you can see by oh, me that's... sitting in a you know, for those of the uh, you that are going to be watching this instead of listening to this, uh, yeah, just me, you know, sitting in an ominously dark room at all times. Yep, very professional. <laughs> but yeah, seriously, I mean, like we got tons of cool stuff. You know, the the website www.thelateralff.com. We have a YouTube channel with a bunch of like numbers and letters in the address. So it's like really hard to find, but you can find uh, the link to it on our link tree that we have. So just like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, check it out. That's what we got going on. And uh, yeah. And make so. sure to retweet the show. If you retweet it uh, 250 times, I think Michelob is contractually obligated to send me free stuff. Because <laughs> that's apparently the latest thing on fantasy Twitter now. <laughs> Michelob Ultra swag. Didn't see that coming, but there it is. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's everything. I think we're done. Thanks huh? for having me. Ooh, 201. Eek. Peace out, my dudes. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly variety hour ish with the lateral. <laughs> <laughs>